Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, November 28th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. Two main focuses of the show today, but we got a few side discussions as well. Just, you know, a little overview of the the chaos that is Twitter and the information that's flying around and the conversations that we're seeing actually up until just this moment, something Elon Musk just said, we're going to overview something that happened that seems to be happening with WikiLeaks. We're going to do a quick little point about a few foreign policy points in the bulk of the show. Hopefully that'll be five, 10 minutes. Maybe in my world, that means an hour. We'll see, but we're going to focus primarily on the show today on a really important article that was written at covering the story of something that happened in Samoa and Samoa in 2019, right before all of this. And this was an article written by Dr. Akhan Saeed. And this is really, really important, I think. I think he really did discover, I, I'm assuming he's the one that discovered this, whoever, if it wasn't him, whoever did, really did ultimately, I think, stumble across something here or research into something intentionally that is very important about maybe how this was being tested before we got here. Another attempt to kind of see how people would react. We saw basically a little microcosm of the pandemic happening in Samoa and a few other places right before this started. Of course, with a really interesting overlap to what we were just discussing in the last show. The new, uh, you know, measles or excuse me, mumps addition to the new COVID-19 injections they're working on. Trying to insert the COVID-19 injection into the MMR injection for four things because that's apparently the safest one they've made. Not making that up. That's what they claim. But the overlap with measles and how that's being shown to happen today, and all of a sudden we've got these outbreaks. Now, is that being caused? Is it an accident? Is it a byproduct of what they're experimenting on? These are all questions we should be asking that aren't being asked. But we're going to look back at what happened in Samoa and overlap that with what we're looking at today. And then we're going to finish discussing Eliquis, I believe it's pronounced, a blood thinner that was used without evidence, even according to the NIH, they just used consensus, their words, instead of evidence, because it was so important to use in this moment that was given to people during COVID-19 that turns out to have been extra dangerous for them with no benefit whatsoever. You know, things they might have found out had they cared to actually do their due diligence instead of pulling their hair out about the unknown and saying we have to jam this in people's arms now or in the context of the injection or give them this pill now just in case. But there's also something else to that discussion I think overlaps with all of what we're dealing with today. You know, one of the most obvious discussions or rather questions nobody asks is, you know, why did they decide so early to give people with, you know, con continuing COVID-19 problems, this is during the injection time frame, by the way, something for blood or something to deal with blood clots and blood thinners and thrombosis. At the time, there was very minimal information trying to overlap the COVID-19 part, but there's all sorts of injection discussions. Now, of course, they're doing their patchwork, I think, trying to argue that COVID-19 does these things too, which is an interesting choice. But even those studies are really, really hollow when it comes to the body of work showing you that the injection is constantly causing blood clots, heart attacks, thrombosis, all sorts of different problems. And we'll end up with a couple of quick points I think are important. But let's start off with the Twitter discussion. Now, this is interesting just because it overlaps with what we're dealing with as well. Now he just said, I just, we just talked about this briefly the other day. Tw should Twitter, he asked, offer a general amnesty? I thought it was an interesting choice of words to suspend accounts provided they have not broke broken any law or engaged in egregious spam. Now, my thought was obviously this was broken, breaking the law was included to make it look like we were asking what everybody wanted. Should we give them back or not? And so it was a kind of a binary choice, but including broken the law, many people thought, well, maybe that's intentionally to exclude Alex Jones. 
or anybody else they want to claim did somehow broke some law, you know, by like promoting violence or threatening people, things that they are throwing out all over the place these days, or egregious spam. Now, the reason I, I said that, I didn't want it to sound like I meant somebody else. The point is, I'm alluding to something that, that they say about me. That's why I said that. I already showed you, but I'll show it again in a second. Or egregious spam, which is impossible to, you know, quantify. Or, you know, it, it depends on who, what you think is spam and what's egregious, what's too much, what's not, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that happened, and then we saw that you know, people have spoken. Amnesty begins next week. Now, it was supposed to have begun today. Now, I have seen things happen. Here is Richie Allen, somebody who I respect, who has his own show, and I've been on his show quite often, and I'm glad to see him back. 18 months ago, this account was banned. Twitter wouldn't tell me why. I genuinely didn't give an S. <laughs> today, out of the blue, Twitter emailed him to say that the account was active again. How bizarre. Incidentally, I hope you're well. Now, what's interesting is I reached out to him and he told me, you know, he didn't petition this. He didn't do anything. It just happened. And he's kind of surprised by it, which is what he says right there, basically. So interesting, right? But I'm glad to see some things happening. But I wanted to reiterate what I so when that all came up. Now, you could argue maybe I did this too early, even though it's November 22nd. I heard that they were going through this process. So I reached back out. I reinitiated my my appeal process with the original TLA Vagabond account, which is my first T-Live account, which I think had like 40,000 subscribers. I forget now. I think it was something like that. And they responded as of November 22nd to say, your account has been suspended and will not be restored because it was found to be violating Twitter's terms of service. Specifically, the rule against hateful conduct. Me. Now, I'm sure they could try to finagle that in their woke mindset of the world today to make something I was saying translate into violence, you know, like... You know, you should do your due diligence on vaccines. You're killing people, right? However, they want to make that happen. But of all people, somebody who goes out of their way to not do this, or specifically what they say I did, it is against our rules to promote violence against or directly attack or threaten other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or disease. I would love for someone to prove even one example of where I had directly attacked or threatened people in any way, let alone on the basis of one of those things. Somebody like somebody who goes out of his way to adamantly advocate nonviolence almost on a daily basis. But apparently I'm promoting violence against somebody. The interesting part about this is this account was censored under the claim of medical misinformation. Yet when I appeal it, I get turned down for violent, hateful conduct. I mean, I'm not feeling hopeful about this right now, but I'm not going to jump the gun. I'm going to wait to see if this does pan out, you know, where maybe this was turned down by somebody else and blah, blah, blah. And after on Monday, now he's taking charge. I mean, this is the point about how unaccountable all this is, right? It, 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 there's no way to really know what's actually happening. I'll, I'm, st- I'm staying hopeful. Now, it says new Twitter owner Elon Musk says he's getting he's granting amnesty for suspended accounts, according to Associated Press, which online safety experts predict <laughs> will spur a rise in harassment or what they're really saying is we'll predict we're going to point things out. We call harassment like we like look, look all the things they're going to pretend are harassment and hate speech and misinformation. were all already happening on Twitter. They just don't like the things that are being said that like, for instance. It's misinformation to say that these things cause venous thrombosis, even though that's proven by multiple peer-reviewed studies, but it's still being censored for such. Is that misinformation? Obviously not, right? Is it harassment to point out that these politicians are ruining people's lives? They claim it is, or to point out that these journalists are not doing their jobs? Well, they're a protected class these days. Brian Stelter was having all sorts of pouty rants all the time on Twitter, right? That's the point. They call that harassment. We call it accountability. They don't like that game, right? But the point is, 
they're going to make this the reality, whether it happens or not. And I'm going to make a couple points on this as we go forward. The interesting part about this is they're hyping up the narrative already, right? Because he allows people to have the actual free speech they pretend they're protecting, with it, which still, by the way, stops people from breaking the law, deletes people for imitation, and all the same dumb things they already have, which, frankly, I don't agree with, unless you are literally doing something, you know, you know the lines that we all should be drawing. The real, I don't need to dive back into the free speech conversation. For those that don't know, I've covered it a million times. It's absolute is the point. There is a line. When it comes to the legalities of certain things, but there's a line you you if you are not breaking the law or putting someone's life in immediate danger, not because you say they'll listen to you and go do something, but because you are, you know, but see, I find that even hard as I say that how exactly via the Internet do you even actually put someone's life in immediate danger? I still just say that because that that's a fair point. But that outside of that, all the things they think are wildly outside the uh, you know realm of allowability are allowed. You're allowed to question the Holocaust. You're allowed to say all these things. Now, can I say I think that's disgusting and we should all point out what a bad person you are? Sure, we can say that. But you're allowed to say these things. The idea of these arbitrary lines that have been drawn by people in authority are ridiculous. You, I mean, th that's the point. Free speech is defending. Oh, here, see, I dive into it anyway. The point is, guys, you know this discussion, but they're going to hype the things they don't like. And it's going to be used politically like all the rest of it. And I kind of think a lot of this is, in, is intentional. I really do. But anyway, the point was they're already setting the stage for all the things they tell. Oh, experts say allowing people free speech will do this. <laughs> the ones that are pretending for free speech. Now, here's what Whoopi Goldberg has to say. And this is just really ridiculous the way that she frames this. First of all, she's leaving Twitter. Okay, who cares? Right. Like these people perceive themselves and their presence as like a, a benefit to people like I'm going to leave Twitter like it's a big protest. Why does anybody care whether or not you're using Twitter? Now, I promise you they're all using Twitter still because they are well, well aware of what Twitter is to the mainstream conversation. It's everything that is the place it is the town square that they tried to make it into be. But the point is that this is important to them. And it's important for a lot of people that are, aware, are, that are aware of the flow of information that takes place there, even though a lot of it's false, if not half, maybe most. Either way, I find it impossible to believe these people can't, that can go without using Twitter. I'm just, that's my personal opinion. Listen to what she has to say and we'll talk about it. It has been a little over a week since Elon Musk took over Twitter and the place is, a, it's a mess. And, you know, by the way, I, I, it's not that bad, but I kind of agree. I'm sure you guys have seen the same things. I'll, I'll, you know, you're playing a video and you close the, you close to another tab and the video still plays in the background. Or you open a new video and you got two things playing simultaneously. Or you try to open pages and they say they're not there, but then they are the next time. These are all glitches. Now, to be clear, it could be sabotage. I mean, we're really going to pretend like these people wouldn't have done that. All the, the pouty, woke, left-leaning people that are going to hate him because they perceive him as being the right, even though all of that's BS, really the, the illusion of it. They believe that they are these things. The point is, could it have been a sabotage act? Of course it could have. They could have done this on the way out or they could have, you know, not done something to hope that this would cause, you know, blah, blah, blah. The point is, it is kind of glitchy and problematic right now. But why is that such a big deal? Why is it so important for these people to show you how bad this is right now? Because this, as, as much as I hate having to talk about this conversation, because there's so much more important stuff going on, it's so very clear how important this is to the flow of the narrative, to the control of information. It really is. Now, whether this is all planned or not, these kind of level people have no idea about that. They're stuck in the two-party paradigm. That's why I always talk about the people like the politicians and, I mean, all of them. Most of these people believe they're on the inside of something when really they're the least informed people out there. 
They think they know something, but they're just talking heads inside the two-party paradigm. They believe the stuff they see on the New York Times and Washington Post. They believe Fox News, whatever side you're talking about. Because they know the guy, right? That's They think this. And that's my perception. Now, maybe some of them are more inside. But the point is, it's really important to them that this is a certain way. You can't just let people have these ideas, right? They loved that that was the case before. Pretending like that was free speech because we've drawn a line where we want to be inside. You know, this is the box we want. And inside that, that's allowable. Anything else, it's not. That's free speech. It's not, obviously. He's already called back some of the workforce. He fired a few days ago. He's putting his $8 charge for blue check verification on hold. First, it was going to be $20. Now it's going to be $8. He also suspended Kathy Griffin for impersonating him on a parody account. Uh. <laughs> I mean, how can you be so woefully uninformed about the most benign, ridiculous topic? Or doesn't care, right? You're embarrassed because you're like, here's the point. It wasn't a parody account. It was her account. And she changed the name, changed the icon to make it look exactly like Elon Musk. That's not a parody account. You are imitating somebody. Now, look, I don't agree with even that. Why wouldn't you be allowed to make an account that look just like somebody else? Who cares? It's because they like the clout that comes along with having the certain influence that comes with your account. Blah, blah, blah. We all know how this works. It's a, it's a societal tier system. The point is she made an account. You can call it a parody account all you want. But what she did, though, is put the image, have the blue check, the same name, and then went on to basically pretend to be Elon Musk and make statements that people were shocked by. That's imitation. Now, look, I will argue I think that should be allowed, or rather impersonation. But here's what's funny about it. Here she is ranting about, well, is it a parody account? Okay, well, what about things like Libs of TikTok or you know, these accounts out there, or even specifically accounts like Babylon B are the ones that were actual parody accounts. Oh, you guys wouldn't allow those ones, right? Well, explain to me, Whoopi Goldberg, why it says right now and had before in the Twitter terms of service that misleading and deceptive identity policy, that you're not allowed to misleadingly act like somebody. Like, you see my point? And I don't agree with this, but apparently they don't agree with anything. They only agree with what their side needs in that moment. That's why these people are children. I mean, does she, do they not care that the rule is already there? So it's not, it's okay that she breaks the rule, but not the rest of them. I mean, you could go on forever. It's just so amazing to me how ridiculous these people are today. But according to her, she's allowed to do that because she was just making fun of him in good fun. Right. But the people who are literally are acting in their job as a parody, that's very clearly a parody saying things with, you know, a political slight where it's kind of making a good point about how clearly these things, like I have a, I'll sh at the end, I have a Babylon B tweet that you'll see where it's saying, well, there's a new variant that's completely invisible that causes no symptoms and we're scared about it. Right. That's a joke. But they hate that because it pokes at the right thing. Look, they're making they're screaming about things that aren't even there. They don't like that. But if you're going to do something that actually manipulates people like Elon Musk, whatever, because Elon sucks. That's what that's secretly what I think they feel. It's OK because we don't like him. Which has started a free Kathy hashtag to Trent. <laughs> uh, I don't think so, though. I'm pretty sure I've never seen that hashtag, but let's go forward pretending like there's enough people that care about Kathy Griffin to start a hashtag to say free Kathy Griffin. I'm pretty sure people are even barely aware that she exists at this point, but let's keep going. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off. I'm yeah. getting off today because I just feel like, you know, it's, it's so messy. Yeah. And I, I, I'm tired of now having had certain kinds 
of attitudes blocked and now ah. they're back on. Ah, I see. So it's not really messy. You don't like that people can say what they want. I get it. So you don't like that there are people that are pointing out your ridiculousness, people that were moments ago not allowed to be there, people that will continue to show these things in ways that don't violate the terms of service. Okay, so what exactly is the problem? Free speech. I just, I'm going to get out, and if it settles down and I feel more comfortable, yeah. maybe I'll come back. But as of tonight, <laughs> I'm done. With oh, it. no. Maybe I'll come back. I mean, that's, that's not even... That's not even, you're not even showing conviction here. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to take a little break and maybe I'll come back if I feel like it's up to my par. Like, why do people actually listen to these people? But either way, the bottom line is, and before is not to suggest that that's, that free speech is what's necessarily happening, but this is what they in this minor under like non uninformed position think is happening, that they were being allowed to say that all the things they want to say, and that's not okay. Right. That That's really the crux of this. But these people are looked up to. Now, here's what's interesting. Portland's Antifa are publicly promoting attacks on Tesla locations after Twitter, after Elon Musk started suspending accounts that organize and call for violence. Now, this is actually what happened. I mean, this is a really easy thing to look into. Now, does that mean that there's not other kinds of censorship happening? I kind of don't believe that. But either way, he, I mean, there's plenty of things he's done so far that I actually agree with that aren't hard to agree with. But it's suspending things that call for violence. I mean, this here's the point. When Black Lives Matter would come out and openly, violently say things on, the, on Twitter or elsewhere, not the entire movement, but people associated with it or just promoting it, they didn't do anything about it. Same thing with Antifa. We all saw this. Now, there are examples of that on the right, but they're few and far between. There is obviously a slant on this, even though there is a two-party illusion. That's obvious to see because people believe in this stuff. But what the point is, is they don't care about this. It says they've list they've re, they've released a list of addresses. Antifa says they'll target Portland's Tesla location tonight, and this was on the twenty uh, fifth. I'm not sure what if it ended up happening. The point is they're promoting violence. Where's Wolfie Boopy Goldberg's outrage about that? Don't they care? No, because it, now it's censorship. <laughs> you know, like it's just such a one sided game that's played, and this is how the two party paradigm operates. It is inherently dishonest. Anybody that's operating in this system cannot fully be honest if they're actually participating in the two party illusion. That's my opinion, because at some point, these things will happen. I don't know how in the world you can promote something in a dishonest system and pretend like you won't eventually be dragged into being dishonest. Seems kind of silly. But here, guys, is the crux of the point. I, I, I'm actually blown away that these people can't stand back and realize what they're saying when they say these things. Like, this is like admitting that foreign policy of the government is all about just stealing everything they can and controlling everybody, but only once the bad, the wrong president's in charge, Right. It's like saying all our government's doing is just toppling countries for resources because Trump's in charge. And then Biden gets in charge. Well, it's all about freedom now doing the exact same thing. Like, how do you not realize that what you're saying exposes that what you're doing is the same thing? This is a guy speaking about exactly what they were just doing, but saying, but now now Elon has that power and we can't allow that. We can't just allow Elon to suppress political candidates. We can only do that for ourselves. Like, this is actually incredible or Facebook or what have you, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And uh -huh. the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Yeah. Elon what, Musk. What a, what a shocking insight. 
that only comes up now. This is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. Right. And so you can see the little title there. In buying Twitter, Elon Musk can swiftly upend U.S. politics. Okay, do they really not realize that they're putting out the same point that that means that whoever was in charge before also had that power? Are they really that obtuse to not realize that they're literally telling you that this is the power this platform can have over the discourse and policy of this country? This is what we've been yelling about, right? So the idea that anybody has this power is not supposed to happen. But that's the problem. Now, I don't believe that these people would allow this to happen if this was actually the mechanism that we're calling it. I do believe it is this mechanism. So that makes me feel that this is not necessarily like this battle between Twitter and, and right versus left and free speech versus a censorship. It's just not that simple, guys. I really hope we can see that. But as as uh, what is it? Pasovic points out the House must hold federal hearings on this illegal electioneering racket. So a select committee should be seated, of course, only one side, because Pasovic would never point out that the right does this or anything on it, because that's how these partisan players operate. Doesn't mean this point's inaccurate. But it's saying here, I heard from a primary source, and this is uh, Patrick Stanley at BTC primary source that political groups would regularly contact Twitter to de-boost their candidates. Detractors and Twitter would happily do that. That seems to put the finger on the scale of democracy. And Elon Musk followed up saying similar things. It is objectively the case that conservative political candidates were more negatively affected than progressive candidates. Anyone using Twitter knows this. Question is simply one of magnitude, which again is actually pretty balanced, arguing that it's everybody, but it is slanted towards one. So it, this is the point, though, but the never that, you don't the people that are like Basovic don't point out that it happened on both sides. But the, overall, the real point from somebody who is aware of the two party illusion and can see how childish it is, is that whoever is in control of this is influencing the outcome of everything. And that's not by accident. But he just wanted to tell you that right there because they're scared of Elon Musk. Right. And I don't take this as somebody who is inside like this guy is bought into the narrative. That's how I would look at it personally now what's interesting is okay so you're only you're only worried now because elon musk is in control right because it was so much better when this guy had control right that guy we can trust right a picture of jack really like so this one we're we're, we're safe and happy to know that this guy would never dare to influence this why exactly why wasn't this brought up when he was in charge maybe because he's not what he seems to be maybe because there's more going on behind the scenes i mean i don't know but isn't that pretty stark we're going to say, look, we just don't. This guy didn't just come up with his opinion automatically after this. They know this. The point is they've been using it against you up until now, or maybe they still are. And this is a narrative to split us down the line. Don't know. But here's what he said. This was today. Elon Musk. The Twitter files on free speech suppression soon to be published on Twitter itself. That was today. The public deserves to know what really happened. Well, we'll see. Now, to me. I mean, this, I, I don't understand, like, this is great. I hope it happens. But it's so frustrating how quickly people get wrapped back in. Somebody does one thing they agree with, and suddenly they're, in, they're no longer able to be questioned. And that's usually people trapped in the two-party paradigm, desperately seeking a savior. But at the end of the day, we should question every move that keeps being made. When he puts these files out, we should go, is that everything? Is there stuff we're not seeing? Is there more to the story? Is it all fake? I don't know why we can't ask those questions in many cases. I'm beginning to see more and more people, specifically people, you know, that are breaking away from the two-party paradigm, maybe still voting in it, but aware that both sides are part of the problem, all of the patriots, right? I see that. And the point is that here, I hope we can, I think that entity is, is questioning a lot of this, personally.
the, the grouping. But what is it going to show? Free speech files about suppression. And what will it lead to, right? If this is real, somebody in power is going to make sure this doesn't happen or try to. And maybe that's what's happening. Maybe that's what's being pointed out. I'm open to that possibility. I'm hoping that this is about freedom and he's fighting for our free speech. I just don't know how that's possible with the full body of information, not just selectively picking out the things we want to see, right? Like it's all about free speech, except he shot down Alex Jones. La la la. Let's forget that because we're, we're, we're moving in our right leaning direction, right? I don't agree with Alex Jones, but at the end of the day, him not being allowed back on, it's not free speech period. Now this is about the Apple phone or the phone discussion. And the Apple Store conversation, as Liz Wheeler points out, if Apple and Google boots Twitter from their app stores, Elon should make his own phone. And he says, certainly hope it does not come to that. But yes, there's no other choice. And Kian Bexley says it. You should do this regardless. Humanity needs a privacy first phone. Really? You know, like this is the frustrating part about this. So when Elon makes a phone, we're going to just assume of all people that it's a privacy first phone because he says so. And on top of that, there already is a privacy first phone. It's called the above phone or many others that are already out there, but we just don't get promoted or they don't get promoted because they're not part of the mainstream conversation. It's infuriating, you know, sort of like how we'll break gigantic stories on the peripheral of this and they don't get pointed at until larger people make the comment. That goes for a lot of us in the independent media, the real, I argue the real independent media that there's a control to all of this. So my point is though, the right loves to prop people up like this, both the, I should say the two party paradigm loves to prop people up like this. And people in the middle get swayed into it. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm saying question it. Don't just fall into it because it's the alternative to what we know is broken. Now, Apple apparently is threatening Twitter's presence on the App Store, which, by the way, would be pretty damn catastrophic for Twitter. It really would be. Kind of hope it happens, though. That's interesting, though. The way it's being framed, here's Rebel News. Elon Musk revealed the source of his issues with Apple, disclosing on Twitter that the company has threatened to withhold Twitter from its app store without any explanation? I don't even know how that makes sense. So what are they threatening then? You're going to be kicked off. Goodbye. Well, that's not a threat. I mean, that's a statement. If you're threatening, there's conditions, right? Do this or you're going to be kicked off. So it's not without explanation if they're saying you're being threatened. Like, something's missing to the story, clearly. There's probably a conversation being had, and I can almost promise you it's about doing, you know, falling in line or we'll kick you off the app store. Right. So I, without explanation, I don't really f- think that makes sense. Oh, and one last point that I just thought was interesting, just kind of pr- in the connection of censorship. I saw this in my discord before I went live. Apparently, t- YouTube is now adding this to their process. Com- com- commenting paused to protect the community. Oh, they're, they're, you got to protect the baby ears out there and make sure that everything's OK and copacetic. Right. We don't want any triggering words. Right. But it's organic conversation, though. Like, my God, this is getting ridiculous. Like, what people do people what people really want some kind of ridiculously sanitized thing that only feeds them what they want to see children, actual children that can barely function without a government holding their hand while they pee. I mean, this is crazy. Commenting pause to protect the community. We've discovered that comments that you've left may violate the community guidelines. Spam to set the practices, scam policies, whatever. I've got we've all gotten labeled at that despite it not actually happening, they'll just throw whatever excuse they want. Now, Elon said as well, as of the 27th yesterday, Twitter experienced slight degradation of services today from an old third-party tool used to block accounts that had no rate limit. Sigh. Should be fixed now. 
Now, again, that's my point. Now, could that have been a sabotage? Yeah. Could it have been something not done on purpose? Of course. Or none of that's true. My point is, I don't know why we all just take his word for it right now. He's very savvy, in a very savvy way, has positioned himself as this kind of like counterbalance, even though I don't know why we all took that at face, many took that at face value. Now, did, could this have happened? Of course. Or could it be just what he's saying to cover that they're not working properly? Like, it's like foreign policy. When something happens and both sides yell their narrative, and it's usually neither of them. Like, why we're just trusting what, oh, everything broke down yesterday. Here's why. His fault. Let's move forward. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's true or not, but ultimately going forward, this is what I keep thinking is going to happen, where it's like, oh, yeah, see here, I knew I would take way too long, 30 minutes. Hey, I knew I was going to get it right. The point is, as it goes forward, anybody could say whatever they want, and we don't know what's happening. Everybody gets mass censored, and oh, well, that's this old guy who just was here, he's still here, now we got rid of him, now we're back on track. You know, who knows? It's, it's, It's like this left-right situation where everything's explained because if he says it, it's true because that's not what we think he is, right? If it's the thing they say he's done, it's probably not true because that's not who we think he is. It's an assumption. Trump must have had a, an answer. Therefore, that's what, you know, it's giving them the benefit of the doubt. We don't know that and it shouldn't be happening. Now, here's why I'm really concerned. Slides from my TikTok company talk, or excuse me, that's TikTok, the Twitter company talk. Now, the real thing for me, first of all, is, you know, hate speech impressions are lower. What is what? What do you mean hate speech impressions? What, what's hate speech? Are you still mon- uh, quantifying and, and tracking hate speech? Apparently, that's not that doesn't align with anything we think we're talking about. But Twitter 2.0 is apparently the everything app. You know why that's concerning? It, for exactly the reasons that we talked about last time. I think I've got the video in here. Let's see. Maybe not. Well, in any case... I had that anyway. The point was we the the WeChat conversation where he talked about making this just like WeChat. I swear I had that. Anyway, we we all talked about it. We saw it. Elon Musk was in his little meeting and he said that this we need to make this like WeChat, right? So that is a one-stop shop Chinese thing that allows them to do everything they can on that app, but you have to have a digital ID, you have to have all everything, face scan, biometrics, the whole 9 yards, right? That's what this is. Now, just be, my, this is my point from before. Just because they want to pretend, well, that's not who he is, they'll walk blindly into this. But what happens when somebody else buys it? What if he's just a shell company for something else? What if somebody else is already over? It's just amazing that we would just take this step. This is the pipeline to digital ID, whether even he knows that. That's what I think. The Everything app, it's a guaranteed way to get you invested in this and then pull that rug out when they need to do it. Or maybe it'll be demanding the digital ID right out of the gate. But here is what they're asking about the to the, asking the White House in this recent pref, press briefing that shows you exactly how all this is lining up. The exact conversations, the hate speech, the focus, and then really the drawback to the beginning point, and then we'll jump into the foreign policy, is the idea that they clearly think this is paramount. This is a social media app. Before Elon bought this, there was no conversation. I mean, there was the conversation on misinformation, but why this national security overlay about why we can't, we have to monitor the situation to make sure that he's doing things right because there's far more going on with this than we realize. They're not doing that with Gab, are they? They're doing that, well, you know, maybe, <laughs> who knows? But the bottom line is that this is really telling what she says here and the way that they answer it. And I, you just, you, you know, Pardon me for making you listen to KJP's mumble mush mouth garbage after she asked the question and she just can't figure out what to say. As always, 
her meaningless nothing statement that goes on for 30 seconds, which I'm, I'm very tempted to imitate it right now, but I'm just going to play the clip. Critical moment, really, in terms of um, ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector for misinformation. Oh, so it's the government's job to ensure that these platforms that are supposed to be, you know, not controlled by the government end up, you know, like, think about how clear that is. And what before this all that would have been like, that's not possible. Remember what Nancy Pelosi said, you know, on the cusp of this being where we couldn't do that. It would violate free speech. And then they literally do that. Like they don't care about these things. Now they've just gone full blown in the other direction. Right. Free misinformation is too important. And we just have to control all these things, which shows you they've always had that control. I mean, are you concerned about the, you know, Elon Musk says there's more and more uh, subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about... That's a problem. Just so it's clear, she's literally claiming more subscribers is a problem now because it's uncertain what's going to be allowed on a dangerous platform. See how quickly this changed? That and what tools do you have? Who is it at the White House that is really keeping track of this? So, look, this is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. And uh, where is it? Where is it? um, Where is it? We, you know, we have always been very clear um, and that uh, when it comes to social media platforms, it is their responsibility. Uh, The whole time she's looking for the line. Where is it? Right. Where is it? Oh, their, their responsibility. Got it. It's been very clear. And we've always said since the beginning of this. Since we began this conversation, we've always been clear about the, but there it is, that they're, they're, it's their, their fault. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't say how bad she is at this. It just blows my mind. To make sure that um, when it comes to misinformation, when we, when it comes to the hate that we're seeing, uh, that the they, they take action, that they continue uh, to take action. Again, don't miss the hate overlap, hate speech. It's, that's ve- that is right there in the middle of everything. All of them are talking about the hate and hate speech. And ever, I mean, it's I'm finding that hard to miss. And then weirdly that I'm being told I'm conducting hateful conduct. And that's why I'm not allowed back. We're all keeping a close eye on this. We're all uh, uh, monitoring uh, what's what's currently uh, occurring. And uh, we see, <laughs> you know, we see it with our own eyes of, of what you all are reporting and just for, for ourselves, what's happening on, on Twitter. Um, what is that? I mean, okay. Twitter. Uh, but again, social media companies have a responsibility to prevent their platforms uh, from being used by any user uh, to incite violence, especially violence uh, directed at individual communities. Yeah, like Antifa, which he t- which he did do, but nobody talked about that, right? So it's not the kind of actual hate. It's not saying I'm going to kill you. They're good with that as long as it's the right political movement. No, it's saying I have a different thought than you, which wink, wink means he wants to do this, which leads to violence. That's violence, (laughs) right? We don't care about real violence. We care about your wink, wink, nudge violence that leads to things happening that we can blame you for. Like, it's just mind blowing. Like, she's literally pointing at what he actually just did and saying he's not done that, allowing more hate, which is violence. But it's not, though, is it? It's just a feeling. The violence is the act that he is. I mean, they're literally promoting violence. These groups he's talking about. The groups they promote. Or how about the Iranian protests where they're burning police in the streets and they're like, yeah, for freedom. That doesn't mean there's not people there that are part of it that are organic. But they willfully, you know, blinders on. Doesn't matter because it's politically advantageous for them. As we have been seeing, and the president has been very clear on calling uh, that out, he'll continue to do that by any user uh, to incite violence, especially violence uh, directed at individual communities. As we have been seeing, and the president has been very clear on calling uh, that out, he'll continue to do that, uh, and we're going to continue to monitor the situation. Go ahead. <laughs> 
I mean, really? Like, that is just, that is about a 30-second ridiculous, much more than that, actually. I'm not going to waste more time making fun. It's just too easy. I mean, I'm just, I'm really not even trying to be mean. It, she is bad at that in the worst possible way. Like, that is just a mumbling, nonsensical, continuous strain of, like, adjectives and continuations and, oh, and then the, um, a point that doesn't even really answer the question and then veering off into another tirade of just, and Biden said, we're we going to continue to make sure that we always go after this as long as we can until the thing continues to flesh out like we think it should. Like, just, what are you saying right now? I mean, it's, but by the way, just so we're clear, even the ones that are good at that job do the same thing. They just do it gracefully with make it much more difficult to see. Like somebody made the joke the other day when Sean Spicer came back in and it was just like, my God, look at the difference between that. He's, the, you know, and, but he, he did the same thing. Just more deftly sidestep the question. But that's what their job is to hide the information. But coming back to the point, the White House is keeping a close eye on Twitter because this is important to them. It's important, whether it's just to keep the narrative going that they're battling the fake, you know, innocent information. But these people believe it's about hate speech. Well, guess what? Governments plan to imprison people for the possession of hate speech in Ireland. Now, this is not hate speech conversation has been ongoing for a while, but there's an interesting swing about this right now that I just feel like I'm picking up on from a couple different angles. And it's concerning, like the idea of framing people like myself or anybody out there, the MAGA crowd, as violent extremists because they say things that they claim lead to violence. Meanwhile, people burning streets down are freedom fighters. You know what I mean? Like this is the kind of garbage they're doing right now. The Minister for Justice is to strengthen the law against hate crimes and hate speech with the aim of making it easier to secure convictions in the courts. Helen McEntee said the proposed legislation would strike a balance between safeguarding free speech and being victim-centred. Oh, right. It's a balance. It's a balance, isn't it? We'll just make a balance. <clears throat> so it's not absolute then. So a balance means there's no free speech. There's limits on speech. You can call it limited speech. You can't call it free speech. There's no balance. That's the point. They're just always trying to spread. The, they're trying to eat, make, make it harder and harder to understand. When you, when you allow them to draw a line, that line gets moved. And maybe it's not even always with the malicious intent, but it always gets moved. Call it mission creep in the free speech conversation. This is what we always see. Personally, I know it is absolutely intentional. Their, their, their intentions are blatantly transparent. The more they can move it, the more they can justify the suppression of things that they want to warp into that. You know, like these vaccines have negative side effects, fake news, except here we are today. That didn't age well, did it? But they're still censoring, though. They're still trying to suppress that conversation. But I got censored for peer reviewed research on the last one. Right. Using the, the discussion of the cell line, the liver cell line, and the, the basically the discussion of whether it enters your DNA or overlaps with your DNA. I mean, these things have been proven now, or at the very least, shown with multiple peer-reviewed scientific studies. Yet, we're still censored for it. That's the COVID part of it. But my point is that they, they, they say those arguments lead to people not getting the injection, which then leads to people getting killed, which guess what? Or, well, I guess now, right? The point is, the injection is absolutely leading to people being injured by it. So by informing people about things, it's the exact opposite. But they're literally claiming by vaccine hesitancy is killing people. How is that your fault, even if that's true? We're not allowed to be wrong? I mean, this whole thing is just outrageous. The hate speech part of it is just an easy sidestep to make, to, make it, to make an argument that what you're doing is threatening violence against people because of your information. There's no way to make sense of that outside of a personal political opinion. 
Stanley Aguzier vividly remembers when he came face to face with a stranger's hate in Dublin city centre. Started yelling and calling me names, you know, using the N-word or leave this country. He even said it, I hate you. Like, the worst part was when he threw, you know, spit on me and I, the best thing I could do at that time was to leave that particular environment. Yeah, that's good. Leave, leave because he's a bad, terrible person. You know, doing things like we see the Ukrainian government doing literally every single day. But that's okay though, because they're fighting for freedom. See, just like that. But leaving that environment, those words, those names didn't leave my mind. Yeah, you know, like the the Israeli conversation, right? Where the Israeli government is absolutely constantly committing crimes against the Palestinian people. It's an apartheid state. But that's okay because they're fighting for freedom, right? This one's bad because this one guy online said things that they're disgusting and terrible and bad. And he had a chance to leave, to walk away, right? The idea that he has to make something change. He has to change your ability to say things because that guy sucks, right? That's ridiculous, right? We're grownups, right? There's hate out there. Realize that. Understand that the, you can't remove that from the world. People are can be terrible. We all have the capacity to be bad and good. The idea that you have to control everybody for that is the same kind of thing we're seeing everywhere else, right? We need to control everything you do because X, Y, and Z. We can't let anybody do these things because that could lead to X, Y, and Z. The analogy and the excuse is everywhere right now, whether it's climate change, vaccines, or hate speech. Ireland controlling your life is the point. Does not currently have hate crime legislation, but it is expected this year. Today, the Minister for Justice said she was amending her approach to the long promised bill by including a demonstration test in addition to a motivation test in order to make it easier to secure prosecutions. For a demonstration test is that you demonstrate hatred. So, for example, (laughs) you might have somebody that leaves a bar, could be an LGBT. BTI mm-hmm. bar, for example, an individual follows them, is shouting homophobic mm-hmm. slurs and then attacks them. You're dead. Yeah, but see, here's the point. You are already when you attack somebody, there's a law against that. What in the world does the hate speech add to that? You're just all you're doing is criminalizing speech. Now, look, the person who's following them and yelling hateful speech at them, you could call that harassment. Guess what? There's already a law against that. The point is they're trying to create a new realm, a new uh category of laws that are completely subjective that are used to infringe on your speech that is not even in line with hate speech because they're calling things that aren't hate speech hate speech right the idea i mean we all know how this is going the idea of there i mean i i don't want to get pulled into it i'll go off forever the bottom line is there are not limits on free speech the moment that they that you're crossing a line that they all point at well there are laws for all of it already it's sort of like the thing i point out about the ridiculous law about lynching it's, it's a political ploy. Of course, it's disgusting. The point is, just be, you, it's, like, it's like making a specific law against stabbing somebody right in the hand. <laughs> well, okay, there's already a law against stabbing somebody anyway. Why would you need to make a law about somebody specifically? Well, because that's an act of racism, whatever. Well, it doesn't matter. It's a subjective personal over lens over something that's already there. To make a law about lynching is just a political race-baiting race ploy. Is it a crime to kill somebody? Yes. Is it a crime to attack somebody? Yes. Is it a crime to harass? I mean, every aspect of that is already a crime that you can prove. To make that one word additionally a crime, it's just convoluting and making it more complicated and making it race slanted. And the point is, it's not necessary unless you're trying to create a racial baiting divide, right? None of that, somebody will try to make that racist somehow. The point is, 
the already are laws against it. So you don't need more laws to add this law in here will be abused. The attacking is already against the law. Demonstrating example, an individual follows them, is shouting homophobic mm-hmm. slurs and then attacks them. You are demonstrating okay. by your words and your actions. We very much welcome the legislation. It is an area. That's weird. Hold on. Did I just that you demonstrate hatred. So, for example, you might have somebody that leaves a bar. It could be an LGBTI mm-hmm. bar, for example. An individual follows them, is shouting homophobic mm-hmm. slurs and then attacks them. You are demonstrating okay. by your words and your actions. We very much. Well- oh, what a terrible cut. That's their video. That's strange. I thought that I did that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, but so the point is they're arguing it should be more. You should get penalized heavier if your actions were based on hate. But this is my point. How in the world do you prove that? Because you sure if someone's going, I hate you and you're this and you're that. And it's all and you can catch it on the record. Well, sure. But why does that have to be more negative and more penalized than just actually the crime is the part that's the worst. You're hurting somebody, but they don't actually feel that way. They're trying to make it the other way around. But the worst part of it is that you'll end up being accused of this, even if that's not the case because of the lens they put on it. Well, he was wearing a red hat. So it's hate speech. You see my point? And that's already happening. Wink, wink. We know what Putin feels and thinks. That's how all this is working. It is subjective. And they don't care about that because they think they have a lock on who they know is hateful. You know who I'm talking about. That's how this is going. Welcome the legislation. It is an area of, of focus for us because it is uh, um, a, a pretty devastating crime for people. Many civil liberties and minority groups welcomed today's announcement, but some cautioned that they will be examining the published bill to ensure there is no impact on freedom of speech. <laughs> the most important. Yeah, right. No impact on freedom of speech. I mean, what a stupid statement. No impact. The only way it could have no impact on freedom of speech is if you didn't pass the law. Goal here, though, must not be to secure more convictions. It must be to prevent uh, hate crime happening and to assist our agencies, such as Angarda Shiakana, in shaping an effective response to the problem of hate crime. Yeah, and then you see the point is they're focused on stopping the hate crime. Well, meanwhile, crime doesn't matter anymore. We're already seeing that take place in this country, right? Rape kits lined up against the wall. Meanwhile, they're investigating all sorts of mispronoun, whatever they call that now, misgendering. Like that's literally happening. They are over-investing in the things that are not actually changing anything other than people's feelings. Now, that's not irrelevant, but it's not the police's, police or the government's job to care about people's feelings. But that's what's happening. Long since have we seen these people not doing what they're supposed to. Like, go back even before all this. Remember when they were attacked, they were arresting the people for having a piece of green plant in their pocket? Meanwhile, the rape kits and the murders were up dramatically. Same thing. They're focusing on the politics and they don't care about what keeps you safe because I don't think they ever really have. Under the provisions, new versions of existing offences attracting extra penalties would be created if these offences were motivated by prejudice against a protected characteristic of the victim. Exactly. Now wait till journalists get added to that or government entities. They're already trying to claim that even like a government politician is a protected class. Like they've, I mean, before this, Gender wasn't these kind of things. Well, I guess specifically the trans idea wasn't part of it. These are added color, race, nationality, religion. It's still a crime no matter why you do it, but they're going to make it a worse crime. The new bill is set to be published in September. It's hoped it could be enacted by the end of the year. Joan O'Sullivan. Wow. Right. Hate. Subjective and, and impossible to prove based on because, you know, it's all it's all subjective. Right. What you think is hateful. Maybe they didn't mean it hatefully. 
right? I can't think of, you know, I'm not going to try to think of an overlap there, like an example, but you know, that's possible. Somebody could maybe, maybe they're joking. Maybe they're saying something that wasn't meant to be hateful, but too late. Now it's hateful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now here's where we are right now, guys. This is a really important meme that I want to think. Now, by the way, I was planning to rush through all this in the beginning to get right to the meat today. And once I realized I took 28 minutes on the first part, I just slowed down. <laughs> For those that were expecting, I apologize. It took much longer. In fact, I'm probably going to hit exactly what I predicted about an hour. Here, <clears throat> here's where we are. This meme for the podcast is super important. Now, you might have seen this before. It's been kind of repackaged in the context of the current reality. So at the top, you've got a picture of a crowd and you got one man with a whip, right? And everybody's standing there. Then you got the next picture and you've got everybody on their knees and the whip in the air, but one guy standing up, right? Sort of like that Nazi picture, Nazi rally picture with like one guy without his hands in the air, right? Next picture, you've got more people standing up, but it, most of them still kneeling. But now he's got the whip even higher. And the meme says, we are here, right? With the next step being, everybody stands up. And the guy with the whip is kneeling to you, right? So I want us to just think about this. It's not as simple as this, obviously. <clears throat> but I want us to think about, this is where I believe, I really believe we are. Now, just that doesn't mean that those other people kneeling aren't also on your side. They don't realize that, that yet, though. And if we don't do anything, if we don't take advantage of where we are right now, we'll end up back at step two, right? It'll go the other way because people will be swayed by the next shooting, by the next claim, by the next scare tactic, the next pandemic or whatever they push in your face. And people will sway back because there's a lot of in the middle that are just kind of not sure, right? The point is we can't let this go. I have never seen more awareness and more pushing back than right now in my entire life. And I, and I speak to people that have been doing this longer, well longer than me, that are twice my age, that are saying the same thing. We are at a point right now that we cannot let go. So if we don't stand up and we don't keep pushing, we will lose this momentum. So please help people realize all we need to do is get the rest of them to stand up. Now, one of the things we're seeing, <clears throat> it's just, I think, desperate attempts to get us to divide and get us to go in a different direction. Because you, if we don't see by now that they have absolutely lost control. Now, I'm not saying I don't what, that I know that what happened with the injection and COVID narrative and where we are now. I'm not going to say that I know that's not what was planned. I don't know that. Maybe it was. But that, doesn't, that still doesn't mean that we haven't. That the point is, we can still see that we have broken through their narrative. Even if that was the plan, we're not supposed to be able to go look how much, look, how, look at all the people getting blood clots, look at all the heart attacks. At least I don't think so. You know, it's always possible that we're just walking blindly into exactly what they wanted us to do. But I find that hard to believe right now, right? So we need to realize how much effect we have had and how many people we have saved. And that is powerful. So they're desperate to get you to go somewhere else, to fall back in line. The QAnon discussion was one of those things. The Russiagate narrative from the other side, both of them were meant to draw them back into trusting the establishment, right? Trust the plan. On the other side, Russiagate, it was, guess what? Secretly, the intelligence community was on your side and Trump was the problem. Both of them made you fall back in line. Here we are again. Now, I don't know what's going to happen next, but this just happened today, and I'm really baffled by this. New York Times comes out with a tweet. After all this time, ignoring and even actually gaslighting, acting like Julian Assange is a terrorist. The New York Times and four European news outlets have now suddenly called on the government to drop its charges against Julian Assange for obtaining and publishing classified diplomatic and military secrets. They warned that his indictment, quote, sets a dangerous precedent. Now, look, I'm not going to say that I'm, it's good that that's being pointed out. Period. 
But my God, are we really going to pretend like this is genuine? There's no possible way that these people can pretend this isn't happening until suddenly. Now they realize it sets a dangerous precedent? Not 10 years ago? You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, these very people are the ones that republished the information and have just been dead silent about this, if not attacking him this entire time. Other journalists, or in fact, you know, pretend journalists, where this people like this are the real journalists. Here's the Guardian. Publishing is not a crime. Hey, welcome to the conversation, Guardian. Media groups urge U.S. to drop Julian Assange's charges. Look what it says right here. First outlets to publish WikiLeaks material, including the Guardian, come together to oppose prosecution. Like, they're framing themselves as the heroes. I mean, that is disgusting to me. Like I always say, it is far worse to pretend to be the good guy while being the bad guy than just to blatantly, openly be the bad guy. These are the worst of the worst kind of things. Now, look, it is good for whatever reason that they're feeling they need to point this out because average people will suddenly be aware of this that weren't before. That's good. But you read the articles and there is the same kind of dancing that you see in all this garbage that ultimately is kind of promoting their narrative while not. Sort of like pretending they're admitting things while not doing so, as we keep seeing in the COVID narrative. But I just want to ask simply, why now? They've ignored this for a decade. Why right now, guys? Why would they come out now? Do you think this is going to really change anything? I mean, I hope it does. For Julian's sake, I really hope it does. But I don't really think so. I think this is designed to get people to jump back into this conversation. Now you're going to frame the media as being on your side of this conversation. And suddenly we're not paying attention to where we were before in one small way, along with a million other examples you could make. But I'm not buying that, especially since right about now, right as this is happening, guess what we're finding out? There's something, not just today, obviously, this has been circulating for a week or so. There's weird stuff going on with WikiLeaks. As Ben Wah points out, they got WikiLeaks. The Podesta emails are gone. Now, this person says completely down. Now, what I saw is really telling. Now, as far as I can tell, it's not down. It's still up, but I can't look just to make just a quick point. And then we'll go forward into foreign, finish the foreign policy before the COVID discussion. Here's the main, here's the, oh, actually, let's just go to the homepage. Okay, so here's the first, first point. Let's just search Syria, which you know there's an endless amount of information on this platform, right? Nothing happens. Same homepage, same, same result, same seven things on the on the home right here right even though there's oh, right there obcw duma right which is there still there apparently i don't know if there's anything missing within that but you know any of these i mean even just clinton there's a lot of this stuff in there now here's what's interesting all the same ones right but when you go in further and actually click on the tabs you do find a lot of stuff including hillary clinton email archive so it's weird that one it doesn't come up when you search for it most all of these do still come up. Here's an example, just randomly picking one. Still there, right? But guess what's not there? Hillary Clinton email archive. Oh, weird. Gone. Error. How about the DNC email archive? Oh, error. Not there anymore. Okay. What about the, what was it? The Syria files. Oh, it's gone, right? All these things that, you know, you could see it as slanting to the left. I see it as slanting toward the empire, right? The point is, a lot of this stuff is important, but these things were really, really important. Now, I, I shouldn't even say it like that. Who knows what people find more important? The bottom line is, it's gone. Now, that's really disconcerting from WikiLeaks, right? Right, at the, right as they're suddenly taking his side? 
I mean, come on. I mean, there's something really concerning about that. Now, I, you guys tell me what you think. Either way, I mean, I'm not missing something. I mean, these definitely are Comenco's errors, no matter how many times I look at it. Now, I haven't checked if you can use the Wayback Machine. I bet you there's still some stuff there, right? But either way, something's going on, guys. And that's not, that's making me uncomfortable with where this is going. Now, the things that WikiLeaks were revealing, you know, the the war crimes of the U.S. government and, and other groups involved are still going on, right? We still see, here's a couple last few points on Ukraine and Israel to show you what those these governments are actually doing. I mean, this is really frustrating to see as they're acting like they're trying to de-escalate. Here is an exclusive from Reuters. U.S. weighs sending 100-mile strike weapons to Ukraine. Yeah, because that's not going to change anything, is it, right? The group that has already assassinated somebody in Moscow it's not like they would use those to, you know, strike outside of Ukraine and then potentially creating a nuclear situation. No, of course not. Right. The Pentagon's considering a Boeing proposal, you know, one of the merchants of death to supply Ukraine with cheap, small precision bombs fitted into abundantly available rockets, allowing Kiev to strike far beyond Russian lines as the West struggles to meet demands for more arms. What's I love what's what's hilarious to me. Second part, U.S. and allied military inventories are shrinking. The Ukraine. And Ukraine faces an increasing need for more sophisticated weapons as the war drags on. Don't you love that? Wait a minute. I thought Russia was running out of weapons, right? They're literally still, as, as of today, talking about how they're running out of weapons. We think they're firing dummy rounds because they don't have any weapons. It's so obvious that's not true. Like, they're just so desperate to try to downplay what's going on. Like, there's plenty. I think it's Paul Craig Roberts pointed out that, if look, if, Ukraine, if Russia wanted to take over Ukraine, they could do it in one day. Somebody who's previously in administrations in this field, he knows what he's talking about. You could say he's wrong. But the point is, they argue like this is some kind of obvious that Ukraine's about to win. And it's just so childish. I'm just so tired of the dishonesty. It's just blatant. And then the people that go along with it, even though it's so obviously not true. And that's not a pro-right or Russia or Ukraine thing. But it's just pro-facts. The bottom line, though, is that they keep reporting how the U.S. is struggling about this stuff. But either way... To send them 100-mile strike weapons is a guarantee to hurt people. I mean, this is everywhere you look, and they just don't care. Here is Johnny Miller, one of many. I've shown you uh, uh, Wyatt Reed and Patrick Lancaster and Eva Bartlett and Vanessa Bealey and plenty of other people you know, that are actually there doing their jobs, as opposed to the media that pretends they're just regurgitating what the intelligence tells them, you know, like Russia struck Poland, because that totally happened, right? Ukraine fires dozens of shells every day into random civilian areas in Donbass. And it is endlessly proven. No military targets there. Most land or do minor damage. Some kill civilians. Or, you know, target hotels where journalists are staying right after they tell them that they're there. You know, stuff like that. Here's my eyewitness account from yesterday. This is according to Johnny Miller. One hit this cafe he was in. What's the use of this? Now you can watch these for yourself. I, don't, I actually don't know how they do these four videos in one post kind of thing. I have to look into that. But the point is, guys, that it's it's endlessly verified. These things are constantly being shown. People are on the ground catching it live. These are downtown civilian areas in Donetsk, in Donbass region, and they've been doing it for 10 years. These people are disgusting for pretending like it's not happening. The point, though, is you give them these missiles. I want, gee, I wonder what will happen. More of the same. More people being killed. Maybe in, the, in Russian territory, which will drive Russia to take action, which, in, which is exactly what they've always desired here. Don't forget foreign policy and people inside the CIA were openly calling this an insurrection before it ever started. You don't have an insurrection unless they've taken over the country entirely and you're fighting back from within. That clearly didn't happen despite their fake reports of tanks rolling into Kiev on the first day this started. 
It's endless how obviously they're being lying. They're dishonest about this. But if you need more examples of how they're actually the ones trying to, okay, whatever, picking the brain style, take over the world or whatever they pretend the Soviet Union, oh, excuse me, the Russia is trying to accomplish, despite that nowhere being seen. U.S. military bases spread across the globe. The U.S. has 11 times more foreign military bases than the rest of the world combined. That's a fact. I've shown you this many times. This is just a great kind of three-dimensional picture. Rules-based international order, apparently. Just take a look at this, guys. Just take a look at all the bases. Now, you could pretend this is all about freedom, except the fact that these places are completely destroyed. Right? What, what good did it do for Libya, for Syria, for Afghanistan, for any of the groups they're involved with? How about Australia, New Zealand? You know, the totalitarian lockdown countries? Or South America that regularly gets abused? It's unreal how we pretend like this makes sense. White Reed points out, confused by the language mainstream media uses to describe Russia. Well, here's a little handy-dandy cheat sheet, right? One side says Russia, the other side says United States, right? So when you're talking about Russia, of course, we're, we call them, it's an oligarch. The United States, entrepreneur. In Russia, it's an authoritarian. In the United States, law and order. Russia, secret police. The United States, undercover cops. Russia, crush dissent. United States, riot control. Russia, they've got gulags. In the States, it's just prison labor. Russia, invasion. The United States, intervention. In Russia, it's a war crime. In the United States, it's just collateral damage, you know, for freedom. Finally, in Russia, it's all weapons. In the United States, it's lethal aid. I mean, these are literal things that they say. I mean, this is just so incredibly spot on, and it's pathetic. Now, some Israel points. Just so we can understand that, you know, here's what they're trying to always frame it as, right? We're fighting for a rules-based international order of equity and sustainability and freedom and, and non-racism and blah, blah, blah. Except almost every single one of their supposed allies are actively acting in the wrong, like Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And, you know, they're, don't look over there. Don't look at the man behind the curtain, right? Trust what we're saying and ignore that all of our allies are openly authoritarian and openly the opposite of what we're promoting. And most of our enemies are far better than the ones that are pointing. But don't, who cares about any of that, though, right? It's all fake news. The point, though, is Israel, one of their most obvious chief allies, is one of is absolutely the worst possible example. That's why they never point at it. As Heather points out, did you in just a few examples? Did you know that Israel in, inside of Israel, interracial marriage is actually illegal? You know, as we fight for equality and equity and sustainability, blah, blah, blah. Right. But Israel is actively it is illegal to marry outside your race in Israel. You know, all the all the. Anybody want to defend that that's out there arguing that they're all fighting for freedom and, and, and non-racism, right? The openly Jewish supremacy apartheid state, which these human rights organizations call them. That's not what I'm saying. I agree with it, but that's not what I'm saying. Those are the direct words from human rights groups around the world. It's, it's just amazing that that's used to be how they try to call this racism when they're actually doing these things. Here is Wikipedia, just in case you thought that was fake. Marriage in Israel can be performed only under the auspices of the religious community to which couples belong. If that was in Iran, they would call that religious extremism. And interfaith marriages performed within the country are not legally recognized. Funny how that gets ignored, right? Or obvious. Well, here's a 12-year-old in Palestinian, a girl, by the way, brutally assaulted by the Israeli occupation in Jerusalem. This happened in Iran. It would be all over the media, and it would be protests burning police in the streets. You know, freedom. 
You'll never see this in the corporate media. And I agree. Check this out. A 12-year-old girl. Watch what happens. Watch how they beat her on the ground. She's unarmed, by the way. Punch to the face. Choke. Chokehold. Punch to the stomach. Just random beating up the crowd for filming. You know, classic freedom stuff. couple flash grenades in a civilian area. You know, no big deal. Yeah, good times. Only democracy in the Middle East, right? It's just so disgusting how obviously dishonest all of this is. And you think the corporate media doesn't see this stuff? They don't care. They will literally stand up and defend this as they, she, they're a stone or whatever stupid narrative they want to speak. So that's okay then? What about, what about the rights that they're supposedly have in this democracy? Are they innocent until proven guilty? I mean, none of this applies here. These people are not allowed to marry who they want. They can't live where they want. They can't have water unless they're, I mean, even in the West Bank at this point, these people are being attacked. They're being raided. The point is that especially Gaza, these places are open. These, it's a lockdown controlled area that when they want it to be as part of Israel, but when they don't want it to be, it's not their control or not their problem. So they're left to hang in the air and be attacked when they want to. They can have, they have bare, like 98% undrinkable water. They don't have electricity most of the day, but it's all freedom though, right? It makes me sick that people allow this stuff. These are human beings. And since we're talking about children, <clears throat> with the passage of COVID, we now are approaching 100 injections on the childhood schedule. All have inflammatory ingredients. Just a, just a disgusting little picture to give you, you know, a visual aid about what we're actually doing to these children. All of these injections, which all have their dangerous things in them, which all of them seem to be improperly tested, which we're finally fighting to find out. Now, I'm not saying I can prove that every single one of these are improperly tested, but the question should be asked with where we are right now, which even more so when we get into the the eloquence Pfizer drug that's apparently hurting everybody with no benefit that they pushed on people for COVID and was given before it started, which I think added to the problems we're seeing. Either way, that's okay though, right? Because, you know, safety and health. Wow. Well, so speaking of children and where this all goes, here's this point of where this could have started in a test run of the pandemic itself that specifically killed children. Now, this is from Dr. Akon Saeed, The Killing Fields of Samoa. We're going to back in time today, not all the way back, but to just a little bit, to 2019. Just before the COVID-19 pandemic, in quotes, our location, the beautiful islands of Samoa. And you're asking, what are you talking about? What happened in Samoa? Well, a lot happened. All in one month in November 2019, just before this supposed pandemic. Similarities with the pandemic are eerie. Forced lockdowns, forced vaccination, everything we're seeing today. Despite the fact, by the way, even at that time, those things were seen as archaic and not useful and never been seen to have a real effect in the context of what we're talking about. Like, that's all come out now. 
right? The idea of lockdowns and how they knew historically they never had a positive effect. doesn't matter, though. It was really, in my opinion, and he seems to agree, a test about whether or not people would comply. Now, on top of that, it shows you that these things, in my opinion, seem to be best designed to cause this problem. I don't know how else either it is a choice to just let people die because you don't want to expose this, which how that's possible across the entire board, I don't know. Or some people actually believe this is about fighting or helping people and just are too stupid to see that you're killing people. Or the very fact that literally does the exact opposite of what's supposed to do. Here's what it says. So let's turn to Samoa and neighboring Fiji and Tonga in 2019. Here's the timeline, okay? April 2019. The MMR. Of course it's the MMR. The mumps, measles, and rubella injection. I hope you guys have checked out Vaxxed. The, the do- Remember, the documentary that they were so quick to count, to discuss, uh, dismiss as fake news. And yeah, just look at how well that aged and where we are right now. The MMR relaunched in Samoa after a pause on the vaccination program in 2018. Do you know why? There were two vaccinated-related deaths of children. Now think about that in the context of today. Now, whether or not we have the population of, I think, about 200,000 in Samoa. Two vaccine-related deaths. Not proven. Just kids that got the injection and then died. Two. Pause the whole program. Today, we've got reports of 30,000, apparently. No big deal, though, because we can't prove it. So keep going and keep forcing it. Just until, so we're going to wait, make sure we can prove that they're all dying before, and in the meantime, keep forcing it in children that don't need it. There's just no way you make sense of that if you're actually paying attention. The vaccine program was poorly received by the Samoan population, and uptake was low. October 1st, 2019, UNICEF delivered 135,000 doses of measles vaccines to Fiji. 110,500 doses of measles vaccine to Samoa, as well as supplies of vitamin A and 12,000 doses of measles vaccine to Tonga. October 18, 2019, Samoa declares a measles outbreak. Fantastic. Okay, so we're talking, I mean, you could go back. See, I think the MMR part of this is really an important part. Because of how obviously dangerous and problematic this is, especially since they're now using a piece of this inside the new things that are making for COVID-19 and now talking about including the, the COVID spike protein, if that's really what we're talking about, in the MMR vaccination for future use. So there's obviously an overlap here. We'll get to that in a second. But just through October 1st, when they brought the, the measles vaccines to October 18th, right? So you literally inject people on October 1st, 18 days later, you have a measles outbreak to in, in a location that previously had dramatically high levels of vaccination, despite there being a dip in the meantime. The point is, if they work the way they say they do, having a period of time where you don't get another injection should have no bearing on whether you have herd immunity or, or immunity in general. It shows you these things, at the very least, don't work at all. October 24th, Tonga has a measles outbreak. November 7th, Fiji declares a measles outbreak. I mean, you can't write this any better. This is crazy. So they get injections and all three of them in independent areas have outbreaks in succession. Now, just wait. It gets incredibly crazier. November 15th, 2019, a state of emergency declared in Samoa after 1,000 cases and 15 deaths, of which 14 were children under five. All following the, the aggressive vaccination campaign. Now, immediately the propaganda machine moves into action, making the world believe 
that the problem is, in fact, that Samoa, for one year only, if that, had a lower vaccination rate than the neighbors, the neighboring islands, even though they all had outbreaks. But the point is, one year. Right. So I, I, I'm not going to jump the gun. He'll, he goes through it in his article. The point being, though, if they had high vaccination rates, which they, which they did. Herd immunity, one, based on what they're telling you, by the way, not that that's actually what's happening. But then on top of that, what about so if all these people got these injections? We're t- you're telling me if they don't get another injection within the next year that they're no longer protected. That's never been what you've sold people on. This is supposed to be immunity. And then the idea is if you get enough people with immunity, that that's herd immunity. Not that you have to keep getting these things constantly or suddenly things happen. That's ridiculous. Or really, the fact that these things don't work at all and they're causing the problems. I don't know for sure. Ask yourself these questions. What are we seeing today? And how obvious does that seem? UNICEF is working closely with the Ministry of Health and the WHO in Samoa to target specifically children 6 months and 19 years age. Why target that group specifically? All schools have been temporarily closed in Samoa and children under 17 have been advised by the government not to attend public gatherings and so on. Like this is this is a microcosm of the COVID-19 lockdown situation. And announced temporary closures of all government schools. Fiji has measles coverage of 94% in 2018 based on the WHO's information. Yet somehow with, again, it's not even a full year. It was the period of which this before, like, so from 2018 to 2019, not a full year, but the time frame between that, they did have a dip in people because they did not feel that this thing was helping people because they saw what was happening, right? And that's the reality. The, the Samoan people were like, look, this is not helping. And they stopped. They had a dip, a decrease in uptake in less than a year. 94% uptake in 2018 does not suddenly translate into an outbreak in less than a year because they didn't get another injection that you would claim then they didn't even need. This is mind-blowing. Other a- estimates of vaccine coverage in the region actually put Fiji and Tonga at nearly 100%. Before this happened. And the coverage in Samoa also reached a 100% vaccination uptake in 2013. Following which it started dropping. Not completely gone, but 100% uptake. That's not supposed to suddenly then be... The point is, based on their narratives pre-COVID, that was, you're good. Right? You guys got your immunity, got herd immunity, especially on an island. Clearly that's not what happened here. In other words, as he writes, if the vaccines were working as promised, herd immunity should have been reached years before. In fact, despite global vaccination rates over 80%, it appears the herd immunity promise has never eventuated for measles anywhere, right? I mean, 80%, that's above the number they say was necessary around the world. We just talked about the other day, suddenly measles is a public threat everywhere in the world. That's not by accident, guys. I'll show you in the end. I think this is there's something connecting all of this. Con- confirmation, and there's graphs in here for those in the podcast that you can see. Confirmation of this was, of course, the fact that Fiji and Tonga both had measles outbreaks despite reported vaccination rates of near 100%. Right? It doesn't matter what's going on over here in, in Samoa, even though they also had wildly high uptake five years before, eight years, six years before. The point, though, is that these other islands had near 100% uptake right up until the point this happened. And then somehow they have an outbreak. How do you explain that? Either than either between these don't work, right? Or something changed or something different happened or that these things in fact caused the very outbreak we're talking about. The point is the vaccines didn't prevent a massive bout of infection at all at the very best. Now here's the government of Samoa. 
total of 32,743 vaccinations were completed before the the mass vaccination campaign, right? Since the activation of the campaign, another 17,088 got the injections, right? So right there, you're talking about like close to 50,000 of the 200,000 population that did in fact get injected on top of the almost 100% uptake from 2013 forward. So this is not like they just dropped off the face of the earth. These people continued to, of 25% of the population. It says there was a mass vaccination campaign, which had already provided, as we pointed out, over 32,000 vaccinations that were, that were mostly children, by the way. The group that was the most affected. <laughs> Hard to miss that. For a population of 200,000 people, of whom there are approximately 20,000 under fives. In other words, Enough of the Samoan population had been vaccinated by 2019 that they should have been protected from a fatal measles outbreak, unless it was the thing that caused it. So why was the Samoan outbreak such a problem that it was reported worldwide, while the Fiji-Tongan outbreak were ignored? That's interesting, isn't it? Well, kids were dying. A lot, in fact. The death rate in the Samoan measles outbreak of November 2019 was 40 times the usual death rate for measles in developed countries. 40 times. Here's the official charts as of December 8, 2019 from the Samoan government. Guess what? The population was 90% vaccinated. 90%. Here's the numbers. As you can see, the deaths heavily slanted towards the children that were focused on. The ones that should have been the most protected based on every single factor involved. Now, remember, we had the this, this same time frame where there were all the uh, um, Disneyland measles outbreak like this very clearly was a pushed narrative. Now, what do you possibly blame this on? The one guy that didn't get the injection. I mean, that's kind of the way they're playing this today. In the under 10 category, there were 62 deaths out of 2,898, which is about 2.18%. The typical death rate for measles in developed economies is 0.5%. There's a link here to a review from 2009, but there have been similar reviews since. The point is, the measles vaccination is supposed to prevent outbreaks. right? The thing now they're suddenly acting like was never the case, and now we're moving forward with only injections that reduce your symptoms that we can never prove and we can never quantify. So you just get to take their word for it. Perfect, isn't it? Pretty smart, actually even though everybody seems to see through it. The point is, these ones were sold, and still are, that to stop infection, rather than the complications of the outbreak, like death and pneumonia, which is the game they're playing today. It is, therefore, interesting to see, he says, what happens in completely unvaccinated populations, and why victims might die, a clue given in this study. It says only one of the children who died had received medical care. Interesting. Sort of the early treatment conversation of COVID-19 and the ivermectin point or, or vitamin D, things they went out of their way to make sure people didn't get, even though it was a staple before this started. L- illegalizing vitamin D in Georgia, for crying out loud, for any purpose, you can't sell it for any kind of disease. I mean, that is the craziest thing that I can't believe wasn't just like the laughing stock of the world. 30 seconds ago, it was common knowledge vitamin D was important for any respiratory illness or any illness for that matter to be healthy. Now, suddenly people are saying, take vitamin D to improve your immune system because it'll help you fight off anything, including COVID. And it's all fake news. So they attack it from every angle. You can't even apply it to colds or anything. Now it says the point, the point being that a rational overview of measles death rates should assess the medical care 
given to measles cases rather than simply relying on vaccination alone, right? The irrational overview of measles deaths should assess the medical care given to measles cases rather than simply relying on vaccination alone. That's all they want to do right now. Sorry, you can hear my dog, Sierra's dreaming in the background and she's growling at something. <laughs> A method to control measles fatalities, they claim. All right, so the point is, of course, in any situation historically, you do more than just take an injection and say, let us know how that works out for you. To underpin the point, despite measles vaccination programs reaching nearly every community of every country in the world, what's happening to death rates from measles? At least so we're being told. More than 140,000 die from measles as cases surge worldwide. December 2019. To the point. So there are two aspects to the devastating and fatal Samoa outbreak, he points out. One, why did a measles outbreak occur in three neighboring islands at the same time, just weeks after delivery of UNICEF vaccines to those very islands? Number two, why did the death rate in the Samoan outbreak reach such high levels, far in excess of what would be expected in a country with access to that health care? Well, number one, it is clear that the vaccine wasn't effective in preventing outbreaks, obviously. So they're lying about that or they don't care. Not just the current one they provided, but those from the years prior that were supposed to give herd immunity, MMR. For t- and it, look, I, I think there's more to the immune system suppression to all of these things than we realize, right? So the more injections you get, it, it's more. I think it's more likely that you're hurting yourself in the long run to be more susceptible to illness. That's exactly what the J- James Lyons-Weiler study about the well visits and kid vax versus non-vax study showed kids that got injections had exponentially more hospital visits in the first so many years of the life than kids that didn't get any. So let's, we need to consider that going forward, that just the mass vaccination in general, whether it directly leads to one thing or not, just opens the door to being more sickly. I'm not saying I can prove that, but the data we know today seems to suggest that exact point. Number two, it is reasonably clear from reports on the ground that there were major issues getting hold of medical treatments for those affected. Now, of course, look, here's the high wire on this back in 2019. Now, it says the takeaway from reports in Samoa at the time was that basic medical care, including vitamin A, vitamin C, and other supportive measures was simply flat out denied to children of Samoa. How do you explain that? Well, you explain it by looking and go, look at that. It's exactly what they did from COVID-19. What were they trying to do here? Did they want them to die? Were they trying to find out what people would do? Was this a test to see if the injection worked by itself? I mean, there's no way you explain that with a normal set of information. That's not how that's supposed to go. That should be always something people do in the sense where we're dealing with illness in this case. It is almost as if it was necessary, he writes, that a lot of children died to promote the narrative that then required government intervention to sort out the problem. He's not saying that's what happened, but he's saying that's a valid thing to consider. And it is. Because they've done this before. As he points out, governments do this. To pretend like that's not possible because it's your government or your side, it's just a childish stance. The, the reality is they have done it before. So to pretend it's not possible is just simply false. Not saying we know for sure, right? But we know it's possible. In any case, the desired intervention, desired intervention came swiftly in early December. Problem, reaction, solution, right? So they do something, outbreaks occur, and they step in and go, we need to do something about this. Here's the government of Samoa. In response to the measles outbreak, the Samoan government will be undertaking a literal door-to-door mass vaccination campaign on Thursday the 5th and Friday the 6th, December 2019. A door-to-door 
mass vaccination campaign. Not your choice. This is something nobody pointed out when they talked about this, right? It was for, it was, think about how over the top this is. This guy's is a test run. Now, these people respond, absolute overreach, power, and violation of freedoms and personal rights. You should be handing out the desperately needed vitamin A, vitamin C per WHO measles recommendations. Absolutely. It's posted in their own documentation prior to this happening. So why wouldn't they give it to them? And it says, what is it that this crazy anti-vax conspiracy theorist is claiming? Vitamin A? Vitamin C treats measles? That's crazy, right? No. It's absolutely peer-reviewed and completely discussed. Hit numerous times in the past. Suddenly, beginning of this, it's fake news. To sound familiar? Ivermectin, mask, anything else. Same exact series of events. Vitamin A for treating measles in children. It's not to say that's a one-stop solution, but it's absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, efficacious. Just to clarify, it's better that children don't get measles at all. But if they do, the correct supportive measures, as you would get in developed countries, which still get measles despite 95-plus percent vaccination rates, reduces the risk of death. Period. That's also according to the WHO, as it shows right here. All children diagnosed with measles should receive two doses of vitamin A supplements. So ask yourself how it's possible that even though it's stated by the WHO and everybody else involved, that that's absolutely necessary, that when this began, they went out of their way to say you can't get those things. I don't know the answer to that, but there's only a few possible answers, right? Only a few things that could mean it could mean. Of course, vitamin A supplementation became an anti-vax conspiracy. It literally did in December. Despite the fact that UNICEF delivered vitamin A supplements in November. Right? Don't miss that. But UNICEF delivered vitamin A for measles along with the injections they brought. Then suddenly, after this all started, it became a conspiracy theory that vitamin A could be used. Like, if you can't see how willfully dishonest these people are being by now, you're not paying attention. As it says here, Oh, that's not the right one. Oh, it's down here. It says, in a typical fashion, the very same Twitter voices, whose sole purpose was to remove accounts like ours, providing this kind of additional and potentially life-saving information in the COVID era, were at the Samoa disaster too. Here's Rod Cook. Oh, you anti-vaxxer Karens on social media sharing info about Samoa, measles, and vitamin A. Have any of you even been to Samoa? And have any of you, sir, any of the... Have, have any of the serology of these Samoan people you want to give vitamin A to to determine that each of them is vitamin A deficient? Right. So this guy acts like he knows what he's talking about because he heard what the, somebody in some authoritative position said that. Despite the peer-reviewed science and WHO UNICEF information that verbatim says that's not, it's, that's supplementary. Any, says all children diagnosed with measles should receive two doses of vitamin A. Not Maybe if we're not giving something else, but yes, that, and then we do something else. But suddenly it's conspiracy theory because they said so. Isn't this just the same scenario we've seen over the last three years? It is. A viral outbreak suspiciously appears. Repurposed and safe drugs, vitamins, other things, ivermectin, are, are denied as adjunctive treatment to people who'd likely benefit from them at zero risk. Now, zero risk is debatable, but it says the vaccine people come along to pretend to save the day and likely make the situation worse because vaccinating the population during an outbreak is usually a really bad idea. Common knowledge before we got here, but who cares? Social media nudge units move into action to denigrate anybody suggesting anything other than what big pharma, big government suggests as the solution, then many more people die than they should have. Right? That includes Trump's solution and everybody else involved. 
I will take this opportunity, he says, to point out that these nudge units are insidious. They are the dark side of science and medicine. And whilst they are allowed to do what they do, often sponsored by governments as a means to coercively control the population, people will continue to be forced into medical interventions in a way that is no different than Nazi Germany. He writes, the result has been an excessive level of death around the world, which we all see that nobody seems to care about and the government. Now, he says it got worse in Samoa because once the usually deadly measles outbreak happened, things escalated quickly. What did the Samoan government do? They mandated measles vaccination and brought in the Chinese army to help. Shocking. The population was told to put a red flag outside their house to identify them as unvaccinated. I mean, these are, this is genuinely what happened. Here's the vaccination compulsory campaign in 2019. Down here, you can see the red flag to fly above the home of unvaccinated. You literally have to mark yourself so they can force you to take an injection. In fact, it was so bad that there was a campaign against it on Twitter using the hashtag, hashtag Nazi Samoa. See how, this is like a perfect microcosm of everything that happened in the next three years after this. Good luck finding any dissenting tweets with that reference now. And of course, to nudge any Samoan dissenters into government directive, the government also locked the country down with school closures, bans on gatherings. Sound familiar? Now, he says there's one piece of the puzzle of Samoa that has been bothering him. That is, why did a relatively vaccinated population manage to fare so badly with a measles outbreak? In order for that to happen, it had to be an unusual strain. That's possible, one of the possibilities. Now, that's one of the things they would argue. Well, it mutated, right? That's why RSV and monkeypox are totally different now. Well, nobody wants to know why. That Maybe that's not even the case. Maybe it's not even there at all. But the point is, this is what would make one of the reasons it would make sense that this would be different, right? If you want to try to work within their construct, I don't think that's what happened, but argue that suddenly there's a different strain. So that's why the injections didn't stop it. But here's why that doesn't act make sense because the official line was that it was the strain D8, the D8 strain, the normal one, not the vaccine related A strain, which don't forget, we're already talking about the, the um, poli, uh, polio oral polio being a polio derived strain. So we see how these things work and maybe this was what they were hiding. Because the point is the data seems to suggest otherwise. It says what has always uh, bothered him is that I have, he has not been able to find any genomic confirmation of the Samoa measles strain in GenBank. You know, sort of how we pretend this has been isolated, but in regard to COVID, but you know, nobody can prove that. The only strain documented from 2019 is from Western Samoa, not Samoa. So how do we know that it was a natural measles strain. We don't. Now, it could be, but the point is we don't know, and nobody's even cared to prove that. Now, the comment about we haven't even proven this has been isolated, everyone's like, oh, this is their, shove me all the Lancet study, and here's a study that says that. Yeah, it's, there's, I can show you a lot of things that say a lot of things, scientific studies and otherwise. Did we discuss whether they met Koch's postulates? Do you know what that even is? The point is there's plenty of things out there. I'm not speaking to the audience here. The hypothetical person that would say that is what I was talking about. The point is that there's obvious discussion where that does not meet what the classical definition of isolated in the context of a study actually means. They just pretend like that's no longer relevant. Okay, fine then. Then show me the new gold standard, right? Same thing as oh, vote, vote harder then. Don't just call out. The point is you don't just get to decide one day that the gold standard doesn't apply because you can't meet it anymore. Or maybe you never did. Plenty of them point out that isolation or, or purifying is very simple. You can't have other things alongside it. And all of the ones you point at do. At the very least, they weren't even able to replicate what they said they found. All of these things are the four believed tenets of the Koch's postulates. You're supposed to meet all of them. They're not being met. The bottom line is, though, 
that all of this is like that, right? Here we are again with the situation where they haven't even produced the strain at all in this in this conversation. Now we're so distracted by the, what's dealing with now, nobody, I guess, poked into this other than Dr. Here. He says, now comes the insidious bit, the bit that links the fact that there is emerging evidence that SARS-CoV-2 appeared before December 2019. Interesting, right? And the reality is that there's an endless amount of evidence that suggests that from Canada, from Taiwan, from Spain, from Japan, from Italy. I mean, literally everywhere around the world, they're finding evidence that nobody wants to talk about, seemingly, that this thing was there before they saw it in China. That doesn't have to mean that it was still didn't start in China. The point is, we don't know that. It was this first thing that Trump and everybody else in Pompeo grabbed the microphone and said, China, Wuhan flu, before there was any real evidence and it's still being fleshed out. Now, it certainly could have. If it did start where they said it did in Wuhan, then I'd spare it. Then there's no way to pretend that's only one side or the other because they all were involved. Yet that's still what we talk about. It's so stupid how the two-party paradigm affects all of this. But the reality is that there's enough evidence showing you that at the very least it was somewhere else. Yet that doesn't get pushed into the conversation. What more do you need to see? It's all artificial. He says, imagine that the world's worst psychopaths, that is, gain-of-function virologists, were to create a... Uh, Hold on a second. I, 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 I realized I've been pronouncing this incorrectly. I think I was saying chimeria. I, it's funny how you, you read and you read these things in your head over the years. Like a lot of the, I've read books that, you know, there's characters like whatever. And the point is that you end up pronouncing it that way and you realize it's not actually correct. Here, uh, it's right here. Hold on. Chimera. Chimera. I was saying chai. So pro's pretty close. I was saying chimera, I think. Chimera. Basically meaning that it's in the context of like a you know fantasy novel, let's say it's something that can change in a numerous different forms, right? Or an animal that can change in different forms. Same kind of thing. Creating a chimera of one of the most infectious viruses known to man. Measles, they say. And SARS-CoV-2. That's real. And we were just talking about this. Well, they did it. And I, he's, been, he's been banging on about it for a year. It's this little gem. This you won't probably be surprised by. Mutant measles, morbillivirus strain, MEVBAC2, SARS2, right? Complete genome. Now look at this little information, right? This little part down here. Dang it. Look whose name is in there. Ralph Barrick, right? North Carolina University, Ralph Barrick, right? The, the whole conversation about all of this with the, you know, North Carolina University and Wuhan Lab and, and uh, Peter Daszak and the whole overlap, this whole conversation, right? This person involved with this? I mean, it's very hard not to see the connection there, right? That this was something that was being used then and was yet again used in, in, in something they were experimenting there. Now, whether that is what this is today or not, is up for you to decide. But... It's impossible to miss the overlap and ask yourself how in the world this makes sense. Uh, where was it again? Oh, I thought he had, uh, let's see. There it is. Now well, it says, that's right. A measles SARS-CoV-2 chimera. The measles component is supposedly taken from this paper. A highly immunogenic effective measles virus, TH1 based COVID-19 vaccine, December 20. Right. So in December 20, they're already taking a piece of this and, and using it in measles. But the point is. How is this being used in 2019? 
right? I mean, so if we're taking a piece of SARS-CoV-2 and it's involved in a paper that was used and discussed for a, a, a chimera, like the point is, this seems to suggest that there was obvious discussion of this beforehand. He says, and he uses a construct from Roberto Can, uh, Cantani, uh, Can, Cataneo, published in 2015. So why would they use it? Use this one? And it says, now that strain is supposed to be an inactive strain, A, measles. The only problem is that when they run a blast on this strain, or in the chimera, we get a pretty good match to the D8 strain. This is a reference back to the beginning point, right? Where they wanted you to believe it wasn't the one, it was the normal, but it, it turns out that it's a pretty close match to the one they don't want you to think it is, which seems to suggest that it was something that was caused by the injection. In other words, it is quite possible that this, quote, vaccine strain was the novel strain of measles affecting Samoa. Of course, he's happy, happy to be proven wrong if anyone has the genomic sequence of the Samoa strain to prove it. They don't. Now, it's pretty ominous or pretty uh, um, conspicuous that the, the, if the one thing we would want to prove to find out whether this was used before it was supposed to exist, it just isn't there anymore. Right? He says, so... Here we have a very unusual set of circumstances. Here's a recap, because there's a lot of information there. And an unusually virulent measles outbreak occurs in three neighboring Pacific islands after delivery of a vaccine from UNICEF. On one of the islands, the death rate of the outbreak is unusually high and on the, on, and of the order of magnitude of the first COVID wave. And specifically the location where only one of the children actually got treatment outside of the injection. Interesting. The outbreak is used to test the compliance of the population for lockdowns and forced vaccinations. There is very little resistance. Around the time of the outbreak, Ralph Barrick, implicated in the origin of SARS-CoV-2, is involved in the construction of an unusual measles coronavirus chimera in which the measles component is uh, um, homologous, I believe. Hold on, let me look that one up too. One of those words again that you don't really say out loud very often. Let me see. Homologous. Yeah, I said it right. Homologous. To strain D8 measles, a strain declared in Samoa. Okay, so let's say that again. An unusual measles coronavirus chimera in which the measles component is basically the same as the one that outbroke in, in Samoa. Right? So you could look at it a couple different ways. This was something that was worked on before any of this started, which seems likely, or it was something that was used there, but then taken from there and used today and still being used. Is there an overlap with the measles part of this? Don't know. When Samoa gets its first official wave of COVID infections, there are no deaths suggesting prior immunity. That's really interesting. Now, of course, this is going to run afoul of the people that are going to say it's not there and so on, which, fair enough. They, but the point is, there's some, how, you, how, what other point is used to explain that? Now, I'm not saying that means that we know for sure. But that seems to suggest that their deal, they dealt with something that we're now dealing with if that's actually what's there. I mean, that's really compelling. And it says, was Samoa the testing ground for a release of SARS-like coronavirus in November 2019 via a UNICEF-sponsored vaccine that proved that the population of the world could be intimidated and coerced into accepting mandatory vaccinations? which then in and of itself caused problems around the world. Given the way the WHO, UNICEF, WEF, and the UN have conducted themselves over the last three years, I think we know that answer. And I would agree with that. That is pretty compelling. Now that is important to understand. We just talked about this in regard, well, first of all, in case you missed last show, make sure you watch this because speaking of mandatory vaccination, a, a bill, bill 36 just passed in British Columbia. 
only one person voted no. And it basically creates a situation where the board, the college board for medical, you know, for anything medical or I guess can basically demand that people be injected for anything they decide. And going forward, they can just change that for anything, including vaccine for flu, measles, RV, RSV, whatever. Doesn't define it. It's just whatever we think is the, whatever we decide is important. Paraphrasing. And that applies for people that are currently there, people that want to apply, people that want to go to school, people that are there that, uh, you know, any it's retroactive. So how in the world people are going to have, I mean, this is crazy. And it's not like anything we've seen before where you have to force people. There's no exemptions. They have to do what they're told. On top of that, we talked about the multivalent universal flu vaccine, which is an mRNA vaccine, which is exactly like what we just talked about before. It is every single problem we're talking about, and this is their universal injection that they're already talking about, including everything else. But we also got into a point about a new version of this exact discussion. Now, there's an overlap between the mumps. So here's the point. There's a measles problem they're pointing at now. And there's obvious overlap that we just discussed. Now, in, in all of this, they're now discussing the mumps-based COVID vaccine, both of which tie back to the MMR vaccine. There's, there's no missing this. This is July 27, 2022. Intranasal mumps-based COVID vaccine candidate. Results in animals suggest potential to enhance the MMR vaccine. Now, both of these overlap. One side of it, they're saying we're using the mumps part of the MMR vaccine, specifically the, the um, um, antigen they're using in that. Then they're also saying, but we could also later add the COVID-19 spike protein to the MMR vaccine and make it the MMR-C or MMR-S vaccine or whatever they call it. That's literally what they're talking about. But the point I want to get at, if you want more details on this specifically, watch the last show. It's right here. It says, in collaboration with, pe- with uh, peoples in veterinary biosciences, Professor Stefan Newswick, veterinary, that's great, previously led development of a measles-based COVID vaccine candidate. That's what they're talking about. These are the same people. The same people that worked on this exact injection but found that the mumps virus genome is even more amenable than measles to insertion of the spike protein gene. So apparently they realized it didn't work as well. Maybe that's what Samoa and the rest of them found out. Now they're going, but no, we're going to use the mumps part of it instead. Okay, well, here's that. This is, oh, this was, uh, excuse me, this is going back further. So this one was, this is the one, uh, 2022. This is the one that they're referencing that they did, the measles-based COVID vaccine candidate that we're talking about. This goes back to 2021, March 9th capitalizing on measles vaccine successful history, apparently, to protect against SARS-CoV-2. Now, here's the study itself. Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. A safe and highly efficacious measles virus-based vaccine expressing SARS-CoV-2 stabilized prefusion spike. When did this come out? December 21st, 2020. The overlap here is impossible to miss. Now, the point here, guys, is they're literally working on the exact same thing we're talking about. I mean, there is something going on with this overlap, and I genuinely think he nailed it on the head here. Khan Saeed picked this out. Now, and again, I, I, it seems to be this is his genuine research. Good for him. Regardless of it, to make sure you dive through this entire thing and understand all the information, because it seems that there's foreknowledge here. It seems that there's testing being done, and the overlap of what they're working on in the in the the direction it goes into COVID nineteen. It's there. There's. I think what we're seeing happen is the same thing that happened there to make it as simple as possible, whether that's design or side effect. I don't know. Personally, I think this is by design because it's leading and it's forcing us all into the direction of taking what they next provide. Either way, 
talking about the overlap of the injection, here's the one we just talked about in the last show. This is from August 2022. A highly efficacious, live attenuated mumps virus-based SARS-CoV-2 vaccine candidate expressing six-proline-stabilized prefusion spike. Since we developed the recumbent MUV-based SARS-CoV-2 vaccine candidates expressing a stabilized prefusion spike with two prolines or six prolines at different gene junctions in the MUV genome. The MMR, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, has been one of the safest, they claim, most effective, they claim, human vaccines used in infants and children. That's simply not true. It's the same the way they pretend the current COVID injection is safe and effective. They just blatantly lie about that and ignore anything that shows the opposite. Watch the documentary Vax. Here, we developed live attenuated recombinant mumps virus-based SARS-CoV-2 vaccine candidates using the MUV Gerald Lynn vaccine stain backbone, strain backbone. Now, this is the same point. This is, as we just discussed, is what's coming from the MMR vaccine. Now, suddenly, November 23rd, measles poses growing threat to kids. Vaccinations declined globally, just like the Samoa discussion. Did they? But how does that make sense? If 80% of the population has been, in, as we just talked about, well, where's the herd immunity concept? Or anywhere we talk about. The reality is that this proves to you that at the very least, it's not doing anything. But I think there's more to that. I think that they're causing the very things, if they know that or not, that they're pretending they're trying to stop. Just like when Samoa, they go, oh, guess what? We need more measles vaccines. But isn't that possibly what's causing this? No, that's fake news. We won't even look into it. Sound familiar? Measles is an imminent threat globally. Well, you know, that's all because of you, anti-vaxxer. That's actually what they're saying. And to put the cherry on top, guess what was done in 2021? In the middle of all this, they just kind of quietly added measles to the list of quarantinable, de- quarantinable diseases. Measles. In 20, September 2021, adding measles to the list of things you could be quarantined for. And now it seems to be coming to pass. Well, let's see what happens. Either way, if this, whether this translates into the next thing or not, just like the monkeypox didn't seem to, The point is, it's very clear that we're being tested on. I have no doubt about that, but come to your own conclusions about it. The information that we're seeing here is undeniable. It seems to literally suggest that this was something that they had before, but there's a lot of evidence out there about that. We talked about this with just the presence of this in general in 2019. Maybe that's where it came from when we saw all these examples of this around the world. I don't know, but the point is, we're not allowed to even ask these questions. Now, what we are seeing in regard to the excess death everywhere because of these faulty things that they maybe knew were faulty, as Danny Rancourt points out, breaking according to the recent mortality data published in The Lancet and Science and elsewhere. There was virtually no excess mortality in India until they vaccinated. Sound familiar? Stating with the frail and starting, as anybody meant, with the frail and elderly. You know, the frail with comorbidities, a.k.a. the elderly, which in their own study says we don't know if that's safe. I mean, it's just mind-blowing how often that shows up. Then mortality by month exploded by over 300%. Massive. I mean, just look at that. That's, there's just no way, and it perfectly correlates with the administration of the injections because they, weren't, they didn't have that problem until the injections. The same thing happened in these little countries we just talked about. And all the sources are down here for you to look at for yourself. Same kind of effects we reported in the USA vaccinations, only much amplified in India. I mean, there's only willful, willfully ignoring this at this point. Here is Australia. Australian excess death data for August has been released, and it's another shocker. We have an unprecedented 18,671 excess dead Australians so far for 2022. 
And, and in most of these cases, it's being shown that it's not COVID related, especially since they pretend that they've got like 99% up vaccine uptake. It's an incredible 17% above the baseline. But silence. I mean, how much more obvious does it need to get? They're just ignoring it, just like theirs. Well, to finish off, there's one more example of how ridiculously incompetent at the very least, but criminal at the I don't know, most best, whatever you want to say. Another example of how clearly criminal, malfeasant, incompetent they are. And yet people who want to pretend they're telling the truth just don't want to acknowledge stuff like this. So we could talk about in every every possible part of this whole illusion, from the lockdowns to the masks, and every part of this that has fallen apart that we've been censored for being right about the entire time, over and over and over. Here's another example of something that they forced on people that probably took lives that were not being told. At the very least, it hurt people pretty badly, and none of them, not a single one, got a benefit from it. And guess what? They did this with no evidence. Why? Because they thought it was in your best interest, or so they tell you. Either way, it shows you their incompetence or their willful malfeasance. Because just like all the rest of the denying you ivermectin, denying you vitamin D, they went out of their way to make this happen in the middle of all this without evidence while the trial is apparently still going on. At the very least, that's 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 negligence. And the point would be, if they had studied it, they would know that it didn't work. Instead, they hurt people with it. Now, why can't we think about that in every other context with the injection itself? It's the same story. We did it because we had to. Right now, take the bivalent. We tested on eight mice, but we're going to rush it out because we were all in danger. But we're not, though. And that's why nobody bought that. But they sure as hell tried. Think about how criminal that is. We're talking about XXB and CH1, all these different new variants, but they were so desperately, and by the way, still are, trying to force people to take a bivalent injection that is literally meaningless on top of having lots of terrible side effects like the ones before. Well, here's a great example of why we shouldn't listen to them and you should take your own advice. I mean, I I shouldn't listen, but take your own advice, right? Realize how incompetent or criminal these people are. COVID blood thinner drug, treatment dangerous and does not work according to the only actual study that's been done or rather actually this is an insight from the ongoing study it says a blood thinning drug given as a potential lifesaver to many patients recovering from severe covid does not work and can cause major bleeding now what i find interesting is they frame this in the context of covid19 now anybody out there taking alexis or rather is it oh it's it's a eloquis or Apaxabon, that's the generic name, I would maybe take a beat here and make sure this is actually what you want to be. Like The point is, if this applies to only COVID, I'm not sure how that mechanism works, right? Why would only COVID cause this to be exponentially more dangerous? It seems to them, it seems that they're saying it just doesn't work at all. So I just heads up, I'm not a doctor, but look into this. But just in the context of COVID-19, they gave people a blood thinning drug in 2020. So ask yourself how that possibly makes sense. Or I believe it was uh, early. It was either 20. I mean, it's, it's, we'll get, yeah, it's 2020. Okay. So the point is, did we know that COVID-19 was causing blood clots and heart attacks in 2020? Or is that, or were we finding out early on that like, let's say AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson, remember the early ones they tried to pretend were the only things happening, even though it was far more obviously happening in Pfizer specifically and Moderna. Well, maybe it's because they were trying to hide the side effects of the vaccines, that it definitely was causing the things that we didn't want us to see, that they clearly found examples of in their own studies and hid from you. 
And so they rush to give people this drug without testing it properly to, to try to suppress that. You know, criminals don't usually factor in that they're going to hurt more people with their actions, do they? Now it says, so read that again, by the way, does not work and cause major bleeding. Does not work. The findings have led to calls for doctors to stop advising people to take it. Like, think about how ridiculous that is. So a study comes out and finds, like, not that it kind of works or lurks a little bit or has these side effects. doesn't work at all and has negative side effects. No benefit, lots of negative side effects. And we still have to petition doctors to stop using it? That's how gross and over... That's the, the big pharma influence. You know why these doctors are benefiting from doing it? They get kickbacks. Now, I'm not saying it's all of them. Maybe some of them just don't know yet, and they're only listening to the CDC. The point is, this is what's supposed to inform people. The actual science, not what CDC says, or what the White House says, or what they get paid for it. But here they have to say, the findings have led to calls for doctors to stop. Why? I mean, shouldn't that just end it immediately? Apparently not. They're trying to get doctors to stop using it because it does not stop them from dying or ending up back in the hospital and can have serious side effects. The whole point was they claimed this would stop people from getting COVID from later getting sick and going to the hospital, going back to get ill because COVID, right? Because we know that that usually how this happens, right? You get COVID and then you have a heart attack six months later. No, we're seeing that they get the injection and then they have dramatically bad side effects. That's what's happening. The anticoagulant, meaning it you know, stops your blood from coagulating, which is exactly what these things are doing to your body, the injections, is giving to patients when they are discharged after a spell in hospital being treated for moderate or severe COVID. It is why, so they leave after apparently recovering and they give them this drug, which by the way, part of their treatment or part of their process is going to be treatment for COVID, which would include an injection. It is widely used by hospitals across the NIH. However, the government-funded HEAL COVID trial has found that it does not work. Which, by the way, I'll show you, is still going right now. It ends in 2024. Professor Charlotte Summers, the chief investigator of the trial, said, these first findings, it's not done yet, you see, from Heal COVID show us that a blood-thinning drug commonly thought to be a useful intervention in post-hospital phase is actually ineffective at stopping people dying or being remitted to the hospital. You know why? Because you're not, that this drug is aimed at something specific, and there is an endless amount of things happening because of this drug, because of this injection. That's the reality. So it didn't really help them at all. In fact, what's even more interesting is it doesn't seem to be, have any effect, even in regard to the problematic issues they're having, including heart attacks and strokes and so on. Quote, this finding is important because it will prevent unnecessary harm occurring to people for no benefit, said Summers, who is an invest- inve- intensive care doctor at the at the Anna Brook Hospital in Cambridge. Quote, our hope is that these results will stop this drug being needlessly prescribed to patients with COVID-19 and we can change medical practice. Hope, I guess, <laughs> right? Let's hope the facts influence what they're doing with medical science, right? Like just realize how clear that is. Who's driving doctors' decisions? Government policy and political sci- and well, science and pharma companies. That's it's, how obvious is this? The science just came out. And now we're hoping that that translates. Guidelines drawn up by the NIH and Care Excellence, or called NICE, recommends that patients in hospitals with COVID are given Apaxaban, the drug we're talking about, for 14 days, even if they're discharged during that time. All right, so right now that's still the case, despite the science. Now, what's interesting is I'm not saying that people should force to be do something. These doctors should be able to make their own decisions. But what I'm telling you is that doctors aren't even being informed about this. 
Doctors keen to find effective treatments against COVID hoped that the, doc, the drug would reduce the risk of people suffering blood clots. It's just an obvious focus here. What is that? That's crazy. A naked woman on the, the cover of the, law, the Guardian? That's, that's fantastic. Now it says, doctor, uh, it says, some of the 402 participants who received the blood thinner suffered serious bleeding. The trial team also found that while 30.8% of COVID patients who received standard care ended up back in the hospital within a year, let's pretend that's COVID, right? Like they're just so clumsily acting like this is COVID, despite even the Wikipedia page of long COVID saying we don't know what this is. Only a slightly smaller proportion of those taking the drug did so. Not even a full percent of difference. It's not statistically significant. Summers said that NICE had recommended Apaxaban's use, even though when it undertook a synthesis of the evidence around the drug in 2020, it found no clinical trials of its use in discharge COVID patients and called it a decision, quote, based on consensus rather than evidence. Consensus of what? So you all you all agree that without any evidence that you should use it? That's not consensus. That's just you agreeing to do something dangerous. At the time, 11 different countries around the world had issued guidelines that did endorse its use. You see how that works? So the U.S. government, the NIH, suddenly start doing it, and all these countries follow suit, just like the recommended use discussion. The CDC says, you should use this, and they all put it to practice, even though there's no evidence. It's right in front of you. It's just like the injection discussion, and all they do is claim it's in your best interest. They're the experts. You're not a doctor. You don't know. Yeah, well, we do know. We know that's dangerous. And guess what? Now we know that they were wrong, and it hurt people. It's a small example of every other situation we're talking about. Even crazier, just so you understand, it's a Pfizer drug. Maybe you were surprised to see that. <laughs> Probably you shouldn't be. It's also Bristol Myers, Squibb Company, and Pfizer. So Pfizer is involved with a blood thinning company or blood thinning drug that's obviously hurting people, that obviously wasn't tested properly, and yet they're being used anyway. Prevention specifically of thromboembolism, deep vein thrombosis. Interesting. You know, that's how you profit from both sides of a problem, right? Reduce the risk of stroke and systemic embolism. Prophylaxis against deep vein thrombosis. It's exactly what we're talking about. This is interesting. In 2011, this drug that's hurting people was the first global approval. That's interesting. Axaban or Eliquis, an oral direct factor XA inhibitor is being developed by Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Pfizer as a therapy for prevention and or treatment of thrombotic disorders. Now, I believe there's a connection to this kind of this kind of side effect that was associated with their drugs long before we got to COVID. We're just finally paying attention. Now, here's what it says in the Wikipedia page for this drug. In 2007, Pfizer and Bristol-Myers Squibb began development of, of Apaxaban as an anticoagulant. In 2020, based on no evidence, guys, as they're now finding out it was deadly, not, uh, dead, not excuse me, not deadly, but potentially damaging, making dramatic, I mean, obviously potentially deadly if it were to continue to bleed. A, in 2020, despite that, it was the 48th most commonly prescribed medication in the United States with more than 13 million prescriptions. It is available as a genetic medication. Oh, well, to be clear, in the context of COVID-19 is the danger I'm talking about, to be very objective here. But I don't really see how that makes it a different, like, this drug, if it's causing these problems, why wouldn't that make sense in any use? What does COVID-19, or rather the illusion of it, have to do with why this thing is suddenly hurting people, right? 
So I just, I'm really cautioning people out there using this to think about a minute about maybe there's more to the story that we're only just now discovering because we're looking through a different lens. Either way, in 2020. So a drug that seems to be creating excess bleeding is used widely right before all this. Another Pfizer drug. I just find this so incredibly fascinating about what this means in the overlap. And the point being is that this is still going. Here's the HEAL COVID trial. Doesn't end until January 31st, 2024. But it's apparently okay for the NIH to say, we don't care. We're going to use it anyway. We're going to use it on people with something that we're barely even understanding at this point. In 2020, clearly, if you want my opinion, this is about trying to get ahead of the side effects that they knew were coming and probably hurt people even more based on this exact discussion because it didn't work and all it did was make it more dangerous. Welcome to the biosecurity state. Now, to finish off, because the, there's been a focus on the kids' conversation throughout this discussion today, here is an, the clip that we played before. But from a different, this, the clip we played before is on a podcast. He says basically the same thing to a new American. But I want, in case you haven't heard this, I want to play it again. Because this is where we are right now. It's very important. Abortion should be overturned. And if you want to know why there is such a strong fear's drive, to vaccinate children, you have to understand how the law works. Under the CARES Act and the PREP Act, emergency use authorization vaccines are protected from liability. So as long as it's an EUA vaccine, you can't sue them, no matter how reckless their conduct, no matter how grievous your injury, no matter how negligent they are, you cannot sue them. Once it becomes an approved vaccine, that shield and immunity freedom from immunity disappears and we will be able to sue them unless it's a recommended vaccine for children because under the childhood vaccine act any vaccine that is recommended for children automatically receives immunity from liability even when that vaccine is given to an adult so pfizer knows that it cannot afford to give an approved vaccine to any American because people, attorneys like me, will sue them and bankrupt them overnight. We will make them pay for the entire pandemic. The government won't allow that. But if they can get it approved for children, and they'll get immunity from liability, and they will not have to deal with the consequences of their behavior. Right. Now, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the scary part for those new to this is both of those things have already happened. I'm not saying they did so legally or appropriately, right? Like this is the conversation of the approval, pro like the idea that those things were approved were a big disputed discussion. That no, they really didn't. And at a, at the point was, of, they obviously did. It just wasn't legal or appropriate. They wrote down on the paper, approved and stamped it. And they didn't. Have, the point is, it never even got used. But legally speaking, which is why they call them legally distinct, they had approval for both Pfizer and Moderna, Spike Vax and Comirnaty. Both of them are allegedly or are approved, but just allegedly being used. They're not, though. And we've proven that even the military got caught telling people that's why they could force it, but then gave them the emergency use authorization version. They know this because this is the game they're playing. So it's not legal or appropriate, but technically they have been approved, but not given. And were recently added to the recommended vaccines for childhood schedule. We know this. I just discussed this on October 20th. The CDC adds COVID jab to childhood schedule as a recommended injection, right? Doesn't mean everybody's going to do it, but because it's there, these places will add it to the schedule, therefore meeting those requirements. 
Don't expect the media to talk about this. They don't want you to know that. This is this going forward. It just simply means that these people are unaccountable unless it becomes a criminal act of proving actual criminal. Like the, the bottom line is you cannot sue them based on the reality of how this is hurting people now. That and, and, unless something dramatically shifts and they're shown to be a dramatic like like it basically going back to the trials and the whole impetus of this. There being a, an, a legal process that, uh, that undermines the entire thing, which I believe that's what they're aiming at now. Either way you look at it. Go, if you just go forward from here with nothing new to start to show that this was a criminal act from the beginning, technically speaking, they're immune from liability. And that's disgusting. And I can't even believe this has been allowed to happen. But just to show you who these people really are, it's important to understand where we are to not lie to ourselves. Now, Toby Young points out Pfizer CEO, Dr. Albert Borla, has been wrapped by the UK's pharmaceutical watchdog for making misleading statements about vaccinating children by saying they are at risk from COVID and will benefit from vaccination, which is not true. I mean, even their own data shows that's not true. Just like it doesn't matter, though, you see. Even Justin Trudeau can stand up and just be like, I never said that. And it's literally right there next to him. And everybody knows that. That face is exactly, that's the perfect example. These people don't care. They believe they're above you. They believe that they have immunity or indemnity from any accountability. Not because of the injection discussion, just because that they're above you. And I mean, I don't know how you can see it any other way. He lied about that. We know that. He knows that. They don't care. Now, until we see something actually change, we just need to see what these people actually are. Now, the momentum we have is awareness and people are beginning to stand up and it's scaring them. So they're going to push back harder. So be prepared for that. But if you can't see by now how dishonest this is, how willfully dangerous this is, then I don't think you want to. Because they're pushing, guys. USA Today, should I get my should my kid get the COVID vaccine? As a doctor, I strongly recommend it. This is still happening. The Omicron COVID boosters are now available for kids five and up. These are all 2020 of the last month. The point to end is this is where it's going to the ridiculous extent, as the Babylon Bee jokingly points out. I love their tagline, fake news you can trust. CDC warns of new stealth COVID variant where you test negative and you get no symptoms, right? Where we're at, where we at right now, they are hyping cases and transmission as if that's all that matters. And that's ridiculous because all they're doing is keeping the narrative going and giving people the things that are causing them to be sick and then pointing at that as the justification for why it needs to continue. It's the Samoa point all over again. And if we can't see that, we're choosing not to. And I truly believe that most everybody sees this. I really do, guys. I truly believe it. I see it. I think most everybody's aware and it's about rallying that momentum right now. To show people that we all see what they see. That we need to do something about that. Have your rallies. Do your shows. Make your podcast. March to the streets if you have to. Right? Go, go Do petitions if you think it's going to make a difference. Vote if you think it's going to make a difference. Do something. It, the, the idea here is that they want to drive us into a position to where we feel helpless. Where we fall back and just accept what's given to us. And that's the very last thing we should do. Like I've said from the beginning of me doing this show I don't care if I knew as a matter of fact that we were going to fail. It's just not in me to just sit back and go, oh, well, they got us. I'm going to make it hard for them all the way down because I believe in this. I believe in you and we need to start taking action. And I never advocate for violence. I every single chance I get advocate for nonviolence. 
because I don't believe violence is the answer. I think violence begets violence. But yet, they'll sure as hell blame me to be a conducting violent acts against people to keep me off Twitter or whatever else happens because I think what we're doing is the most important thing. The objective, nonpartisan truth-seeking. There's a lot of people out there that are poking at the truth. But ones that are choosing to omit certain things when it's important to the partisan conversation. And that is what they'll use. They love that. That is their bread and butter. Be better. Stand up and be better today, guys. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. What if the, what if the experts are wrong? What if quarantining the healthy doesn't actually save lives? What if wearing a mask in public is not effective? If you do not have a mask, you cannot ride public transportation, sir. My name is Dr. Jeff Barkey, and I'm here representing thousands of physicians across the country whose voices are being silenced because we don't agree with the mainstream media and the experts who are telling us what to do. Everything I've seen in the last nine days, all the things that just don't make sense, the patients I'm seeing in front of me, the lungs I'm trying to improve, have led me to believe that COVID-19 is not this disease and that we are operating under a medical paradigm that is untrue. Never in the history of this great republic have we quarantined the healthy? Never in the history of this great republic have we told churchgoers that it's illegal for you to exercise your First Amendment right to freedom of religion. Never in the history of this country have we been told that you can't go to church because it's not essential, but you can go get an abortion because that's essential. Never before in our country have we let criminals out of jail, but we've told you you can't exercise your Second Amendment right and protect yourself by purchasing a firearm. When liquor stores are deemed essential, but your businesses are deemed non-essential, there's something wrong going on. We called people's utilities this week and made them pay what could have been their last check to us to turn their lights on in a global health pandemic. But you don't care about that. You didn't want to meet. This booklet, the Declaration of Independence and in our U.S. Constitution, was never designed to restrain the people. It was designed to restrain the government. We're realizing that the fatality rate of this virus is in the ballpark of a bad seasonal influenza. Do not let your voices be silenced. We will see eventually that this government-imposed cure is going to be worse than the virus itself. Stop! Stop! Help! Stop!
Hell, man, this shit ain't right, bro. This ain't right. But what's happening now is unemployment reaches 20 to 30 million people is those folks are now becoming dependent on the government. And what government dependency causes is a larger, more tyrannical government. We the people want to put our government back in its place. We want a small representative government, not a large tyrannical government. I'm here representing thousands of physicians around the country whose voices must be heard. We've never seen where we quarantine the healthy, where you take those without disease and without symptoms and lock them in your home. So you guys are asking me to leave the store for not wearing a mask when I have a medical condition, even though yours is pulled under your nose. A note that says I don't have to bring a note, and yours isn't even on. Just do whatever you want to do. It's America, right? Listen, I cannot wear a mask. Get out! Do not let your voices be silenced.